Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are actually in here on a Thursday morning recording this episode of Business Time. I am Mike Fisher. I'm here with Ralph Lawrence. We have a wonderful guest for you today. First of all, we'd like to tell you that Business Time is brought to you by RL Technologies and Chef's Abacus. You can find us on the internet at www.rltechfl.com. You can email us at info at rltechfl.com. You can find us on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash rltechnologies180. And you can also reach us on YouTube at www.youtube.com forward slash at rltechfl. Mr. Lawrence, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning and welcome back, folks. Yes, to another another inventive episode. We're going to crash down the barriers. We're going to talk about AI. We're going to talk about Kroger's and Albertsons, Aldi. And we have a fantastic young man here with us who is that epitome of IT industry technical support and creation, a coder. That's right. <laughs> Talking to Adam over here across from us. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning. Thank you so much. Outstanding. Why don't you uh, please uh, give the audience just uh, your your full, please spell your full name, give us a mugshot, and, uh, <laughs> you know, tell uh, all, the, all the happy men and women out there in La La Land about yourself. Mugshot. Boom. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Adam Perez. Nice to meet y'all. I'm a fourth generation jeweler by trade, and I'm a self-taught programmer. I've been coding for about the last eight years making all sorts of weird fun things <laughs> outstanding how'd you move how did you enter into the the fourth generation jeweler is something that you did want to succeed in you know you did want to do so that's fantastic what bumped you over to coding what did you find what did uh, you see <laughs> i met people is actually what happened i met people that encouraged me to pick it up and try it and realize that I had a knack for learning it very quickly. So my first program ever was uh, a really secure card platform for entry authentication written in Java card. It was the first thing I ever wrote. Outstanding. It was a miserable time. <laughs> I learned a lot from it and it was really awesome and really useful. And ever since then, I've just been learning and learning and Making all kinds of weird things. Now you actually have hit the uh, you've hit the DefCon trail too as well. Correct? Yeah, you've so, been out yeah. there. I've been to DefCon. Uh, it was shortly after that when I decided to start learning programming. So I actually got went to DefCon beforehand, which was a little backwards. But <laughs> well, behind every good white hat is a black hat. Yeah, guys, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. We know we know you from working on a, a different platform, but we also know you because you do a lot of the integration work and the the lights and sound work down at Seville Quarter as well, yes. right? Yes, I do. I am the sound man. You are the sound. So they gave you a title. Well, finally, I'm, the I'm technically the entertainment coordinator. That's my official position at oh, Seville. Okay. Awesome. But they yeah. like they like titles down there for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a wonderful not, title. I appreciate really anything, it dearly. Right? No, that's awesome. It's a great title. Yeah, yeah but I deal with all the audio, all the lighting. Uh, I install new systems. So, uh, like one of the things we're currently working on, look out for it, is we're installing new lights in Rosie O'Grady's. So huh. they're going to have new colored LEDs, not just the typical big, right. uh, single color cans. Nice. Awesome. Uh, we redid Phineas recently with... The sound. 
brand new sound system yeah. that spanks yeah. that sounds incredible it actually does. he mentioned that yeah. on the loud I, show the I, test I, you guys did mm-hmm, I told him mm-hmm. <laughs> no it sounds incredible it oh does. it's so loud that's nice <laughs> it's, inc- it's incredible well that's exciting so that's exciting. definitely a man here that's enhancing your 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 every want and whim down at seville quarter no matter what room you visit Oh, I appreciate that. I do my best. I do my best. Yeah. So, you know, here on Business Time, over the last three weeks, one of the things that we've been talking about, and I think we can definitely say ad nauseum now, Mm -hmm. is the fact that one of the things, especially in the restaurant industry, but just in life in general, we're looking at is the massive impact that automation, AI, and robotics and how these things are affecting us even from the sad point of ad level you know we did a couple of deep dives and one of the things that we noted was that like on social media ad levels ai will be responsible within the confines of the next four years for generating every piece of advertisement you see on any social media network period so they're actually and they're starting to take their hands back further and further and further from the application of it. They don't even fully know what it is that it does, how it does what it does, because they don't know what goes wrong when it does fail. The science is bad behind it right now is what I'm saying. And they're still pushing ahead. We know that, you know, the, the chat, you know, all of the chat bots, everything Google's doing, everything that Yahoo's doing. All of those systems are being run at breakneck speed, and one that's being run even faster is from the UAE, and it's Falcon, which is going to be open source. And the UAE has said, hey, we're, we got left behind 2,400 years ago when the printing press, you know, in the 1700s, when around the 1700s, when the printing press, you know, was the big piece of technology and the ability to convey information from one individual to another and be able to write, et cetera, express, you know, ideas really responsible for the the technical leap that most countries took, you know, and be from an, a religious onset. The UAE said, you know, back then when you're just dealing with, you know, quote unquote, the Persian slash Islamic fundamentalist aspect of it they're like no we're not going to adhere to this technology we're going to continue to write and they got left behind you know and uh, i heard a quote from the founder of falcon uh, there in the uae who said we will never be left behind again we will never say no mm-hmm. so they're just you know they're just going so uh, we, ralph and i were talking we're like you know we need to <laughs> we need to bring somebody in that has an even better understanding of this especially from a coding standpoint because you can speak to the fundamental aspects of integration right between what it is that you're building and systems that even you have touched that have ai you know deeply embedded in in the root structure of what it is that they're going to do and while you may not be able to speak to those elements specifically you have a better understanding just from an industry standard mm. of exactly you know how that how that's working mm-hmm. so but uh one of the things we want to take a look at first is the uh uh it's a swipe of a smartphone and we got Audi. What is Audi doing? <laughs> so Audi has installed the first fully automated checkout system in the United States, which happens to be in Chicago, um, in partnership with a tech, fir- tech firm called Grab and Go, allowing shoppers to leave without actually scanning their items. So um, I think uh, there is another uh, pilot program of this with Amazon right. uh, a couple years ago. 
Um, but so Aldi is actually the number two supermarket operator in the U.S. by store count currently. So this is a this is a heavy mm-hmm. hitter. Um, and all you have to do is just download the Aldi app on your uh, iOS or Android device. Um, so that was a that was a little interesting uh, snippet of news that came through this week. I saw the the headline and it said at the swipe of a smartphone. And that just kind of grabbed my attention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty good tagline. <laughs> yeah. They've yeah. been doing that kind of thing in Japan for a while now. Right. It's where it kind of, I don't remember if it's either Japan or Korea exactly where it started. It could have been also China. I don't, don't quote me. One of the Asian <laughs> countries is where it really started these mm-hmm. kinds of uh, grocery stores. And they were really small spaces that you right. could walk into, mm-hmm. grab whatever. And then when you're leaving, it just like, uh, charges your WeChat or whatever, right. you know what I right. mean? Um, and they're really good. Uh, okay, so let's talk like loss prevention. You're right. not really going to stop somebody right. from taking something, mm-hmm. but that store is filled with sensors. It's right. filled with all kinds of things that, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to persecute somebody for that, you can do that pretty easily without much problem or warrant for any thing like that you know i mean you have proof it happened right. yeah. it's recorded on 14 different cameras yeah. at every yeah. angle possible and based on how you how you get into the store etc there's some identification marker yeah yeah, yeah. So, so like the ones in japan were a little simpler um and i imagine this one mitigates a lot of those problems and right. that it seems like like with the app you need some kind of mechanism right. to even enter yeah. the store in the first yeah, place. Yeah, so it's almost like a stratification right. of, you know, your client mm-hmm. base. Like, you've got everything that you need to go after them, if need be, mm-hmm. you know. To kind and of, that app know. is attached to your wallet or right. whatever. Right. And, it's, and they probably mandate that it's actually, yeah, that it's attached to oh, the yeah. digital wallet so oh, that yeah. it's automatic. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. So... You know, you're going to have to have your Apple or your Google Play integration, you know, based on on any of that. And you know, they're going to, it 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 has to work off of that marker system mm-hmm. because if not, right. Prelf and I were well, laughing yesterday. Safeway, their, their new, you know, their new idea related to fighting shrink is one that Walmart had like four years ago. And it worked so badly that they got rid of it in oh, a month. Yes. They have gates, <laughs> physical gates. Now you walk into the area. Apparently, you're now employed by Safeway. So you put your schmuck on and you check out your groceries and then you take your schmuck off and you go to the, you know, and I mean, you're basically an employee of them doing those things and they have to see the receipt. There's a person there at the gate. They have to see the receipt that you just got from checking your own groceries out and then they open the gate for you. Oh yeah, I mean it's kind of what they've been doing at like Safeway. I'm sorry, Costco and Sam's and BJ's. Yeah, that same kind of checker there. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, so Sam's Club's been doing that for a long time in a really well, yeah. intelligent way, though, because theirs is just purely membership based. Mm-hmm. Right, you can't really shop around the store if you're not a member. Right, and and what's funny is people yeah. don't understand that that's. It's not just a shrink that they're really checking for. What they're doing is they're just logging you in and out of the store. Now, granted, that algorithm is building mm-hmm. a what you buy out, you know, uh, you know, CSV. But the other thing that it's doing is if there is a problem, 
you're immediately identified. Mm-hmm. Right. You exactly. know, it's just mm-hmm. like UPC code. Boop. All right. And I imagine they're using like NFC or RFID or some kind of technology like that to determine what you're picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're making you scan it with your phone. I don't know. Um, I know that the the Amazon store you and I talked about, they scan it from the cart once it goes into the cart. Well, right? that's, that uh, makes sense. It has probably that, some kind of barcode on it well, that it gets in the cart. Right, right. And that's that's actually just an uh, an application for already existing, like pre-existing stores. Because mm-hmm. it would be really invasive to go into a store that's been there for 14 years and put 150 to you know 300 cameras around that would be needed to do that. So Instacart has come out with like an actual you know cart. That, That's smart, you know, it, and it's a good idea. Uh, and it's you're going to start seeing those all mm-hmm. over the place. I'm sure Walmart's right. got one that's going to come out soon. And you're not going to embed NFC or RFID chips in each of these things. But like that's... here's the thing about that: uh, the the wine industry has been doing that for the past like seven or eight years now. That makes to, sense, though, just because of the the counterfeit wine that is out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, you know, you, you can take your phone while you're in the wine shop, and if you have that NFC app, you can prove that it's that bottle. Exactly. Its origin. Exactly. So I mean, they've proven that it's you know it it feasibly can be done. You can put NFC you know tokens inside of basically anything. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, so that I think that technology will be kind of inter, you know intertwined into that as well. Um, but so, uh, so will Kroger and Albertsons merge in the potential $25 billion deal? So that would make them, uh, probably one of the largest, if not, you know, the largest grocer in the West. Audi can have Um, all the count that it wants, but the amount of volume that those grocery stores move between Albertsons, because now you're talking about the entirety of the Midwest Mm -hmm. from Colorado over with Kroger's, you're talking about everything over to Chicago. And then also with Albertsons, you're talking about Vons, which is on the West coast. Mm -hmm. You've now cordoned off two thirds of the country and easily. Yeah. The smaller elements of you know aldi's and you're smashing out Publix and all these other companies and when these companies are forced to do this and survive it's like when cvs and walgreens when they got gobbled up and they're like yeah we're closing like 1400 stores you know just for when they re we venerate that particular site they they have to close them they have Mm -hmm. to you know so yeah i well according to the ftc they're gonna they're probably going to block the deal i would they say mm-hmm. it's uh it's too too large of a company uh you know if if they're able to pull it off close to a monopoly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh god not a duopoly right. like oh say i don't know mastercard <laughs> oh, visa yeah, or a triopoly yeah. i heard that the mm-hmm. other day too don't don't show my cards <laughs> off though please just, <laughs> so put that out there maybe it will track me down through my alexa you know because she keeps a really tight leash on oh people. and the inflection that we've been seeing in alexa can so we, we talk about that yeah. for a second yeah, yeah. oh my so, god yeah, this couple. guy over here loves to talk to his Alexa. <laughs> so, and she's quite chatty with him. Yeah, she is. I don't know <laughs> whether it's sure. the voice it or is. you know what, what my in my search history. The first thing I so I got my my I didn't get the echo. Right. From an intelligence community standpoint, I knew that they were bad news. <laughs> you were just bringing a microphone into your house. And what's funny is the, the person that bought me the Echo now works for the NSA. So <laughs> it was my own son. So I'm like, I, I have words with him about this. So we're sitting there and my first experience with her, you know, we're going to call her her because she's listening right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah she is. She's listening right now. So uh, Alexa, love you. Don't ever shave. You know, so 
<laughs> I'm sitting there and my second oldest was sick as a dog. So he's home from school. Right. And I've been taking care of him. Cause I mean, he's like really, really sick. He ended up having uh hoof and mouth disease. Mm-hmm. So, which was very unusual for somebody his age. Cause he was like 17 years old, you know, it immediately it's in kids and it was like, you know, why does he have it? And so anyhow, it made him sicker than a dog. And so I'm taking care of him doing the whole, you know, chicken noodle soup, dad thing. And I'm watching actually anime one night. It's about midnight. Right. And out of the blue for no reason, Alexa kicks on and she says, <laughs> I'm still recruiting. <laughs> That's it. And I was like, oh, what? literally a chill went down my spine. I was just like, what? Like, no prompting. And there was nothing. There was no vocalization on the television. It was just sound, you know, which is pretty common watching an anime, you know, you'll sit there and there'll be dialogue for 15 minutes and someone will laugh and then there'll be nothing but explosions and music for 10 minutes. Right. And so, you know, I was just, I'm sitting there and I was like, I tried to figure out what could have prompted that. So we move forward. I'm down here. I'm working for this guy now. And I still got the, actually the, the exact same echo in my house. <laughs> right. And so I don't want to leave her cause it's going to be the original, you know, body like Cortana, He's you know, like, I from need Halo, the firm right? I need the weird yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He got it. He got yeah. it. So sure. I'm sitting there Jeez. and. I'm trying to get to work and he and I have had like a week, right? It's like one of those weeks where it just doesn't stop. And you're like, oh man. And I'm running a little bit behind and we have this construction going out out on the balcony. We've got two cats. They're not my cats. (laughs) They're, they're my love's cats. She brought cats with her. I have cats now. And so to try and make the cats a little bit calmer when we come home, because there's all this banging around on the balcony, I play them smooth jazz over the echo right and so for whatever reason this morning that morning i wake up i've forgotten the word smooth entirely it's out of my lexicon and i've replaced it for some reason with the word light so now it's light jazz so i go to i go to the the echo in the kitchen and i'm like you know alexa play light jazz and she she goes here's a station i think you might like and just normal voice, right? And I'm like, eh. and it wasn't jazz, and it wasn't light. It was a, it was a speed metal station. I was like, <laughs> what in the hell? And I was like, I was like, Alexa, stop, you know, real plain. And I was, and so I'm like, Alexa, play light jazz. She's like, here's a station you might like, no inflection, and it's some folk band station. And I'm like, yeah. and I've been doing this for the cats. Throwing a random yeah, stuff at Yeah, for a week. And yeah, she is. She's shotgun now. She's spitballing. She's like, is this what you meant? You know? And I don't know this. So I'm like, so I'm starting to get frustrated, though. And it's rising in my voice, you know? And I don't have a lot of patience, and certainly not for this machine. And so I'm like, Alexa, stop, you know, like that. And take a second and i'm like play light jazz and she comes up and it's another speed metal something or another and so i'm like alexa effing stop it and that's exactly what i said she shuts it down and so i walk away because i'm about to i'm gonna need a new echo because i'm about to destroy (laughs) the one i'm standing in front of so i walk into the bedroom and as i walk into the bathroom this moment of clarity strikes me and it's like you idiot it's smooth jazz it's not light jazz you're wrong 
so i'm like and then as i'm walking back into the kitchen i'm like you just got into an argument with your echo what are you 12 <laughs> what an idiot you know so as i'm i'm you know self self-abasing myself walking into the kitchen i walk into the kitchen and i'm like my like, alexa plays smooth jazz dude here's the station you know and that's what i'm expecting right uh-uh, no she goes and i'm not kidding about this oh Okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> another another chill. That was fine. And Sass? she goes, Yeah. Robotics. Karen. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm just sitting there looking at it. And she goes, and it with the inflection still. Here's something you might like. Not the station. It's just like, here's something you might like. Boom, smooth jazz. It's the same station she's been playing for the cats all week. And but the tone, it was like, how dare you yell at me? And she was shaming me on the spot. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, you're exactly. How could you think I was making this mistake? I'm secretly in it. So two days ago, I'm walking out of the house, right? And they're banging away out on the, the balcony again. This is the balcony, the forever project, right? And so, hey, uh, uh, Alexa, smooth jazz. And I'm just expecting that here's a station you might like. And she goes, cool, cat. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> turn around. And I'm like, what? what the, the whole time, I've been telling Ralph. <laughs> he comes running in and he's like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. And I've been telling cool, him, I'm like, dude, they're running, they're running a new inflection algorithm. And Amazon, no one will believe They're me. testing <laughs> it on Mike. Yeah, no one believes me. And, and they know who your son is. So they're like, all right, we'll give him a special. Yeah, make, yeah. It, make, it, make it talk pro- fancy. It's probably your son. He's <laughs> yeah, probably knew. hacked into it. Just yeah. Screwing with it. Just make it talk fancy. Yeah. And but then we say, cool, cat. Yeah, cool, daddy O. You know, that's what I'm waiting for, you know? Because, you know, and like it was a good looking (laughs) popper. Don't use your getaway sticks. Run out the door. (laughs) I come in and there's a bray and my echo smoking a cigarette. And you know, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened here? But no, but this is the level of social media programming and AI usage that we're seeing now. We know for a fact. It's just funny because it happened to have picked me that <laughs> that Amazon is actually and has been for a very long time running an inflection algorithm because everybody's talking to it all the time. We also know that it's running multiple language and parsing programs off of that. So, you know, okay, so you're a coder at Amazon, okay? You've now joined the Bezos squad, <laughs> All right. You're part of that, whatever they call, you know, like the NSA has got their, the rock, right? That's what they call their, their well, coding. And, and Disney malware. has the Imagineers. Yeah. The Imagineers. So, so what, what, what does Amazon call their people? <laughs> Slaves. <laughs> yeah. They just call them blue hats. They call them smileys. Just smileys. 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 Man. We'll get the smiley crew on it, Mr. Bezos, right away. So you're with the smiley AI crew, right? And... What would you code for for that? How would you attack that problem? Say, look, they're going to make requests. We need to, you know, we need to grab as much information as possible and integrate it back into the responsiveness of Alexa. How would you attack that from a coding standpoint? 
I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm not. Ask I me that question again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you started thinking about it, ladies and gentlemen, and like the world of, you had an imagination moment, uh, you know, and he was like, dude, I could do so much. <laughs> I could do so many things. So if you're, if you're Amazon, Right. And you, how would you go about like, let's say you're building an application. You're like, you know, OK, for this, we're really going to affect the integration between the customer and the the echo because we're going to be much more intuitive, number one. But we're also going to use inflection in our voice to steer the customer particular ways. What type of, how would you integrate that, that coding, you know, that AI into that discussion point from a coding standpoint and say, all right, we're going to grab it, we're going to use it, and we're going to throw it back out to the client. Hmm. Humans have a lot of really funny things they do with their voices. Yes. Especially in speech. And I think the idea of using inflection to steer somebody a certain direction is very interesting, especially because of the aptitude for things like uh, sass. Mm-hmm. You right. know, like uh, this guy over here. Being a little unpredictable. <laughs> the mics, right. um, the mics of the world. <laughs> being able to do things like, oh, are you sure? That's the most powerful right. question you can ask somebody that make them second guess themselves. And you wouldn't think about a robot doing that, but we do that all the time in our normal interfaces. Are you sure you'd like to do this? Are you sure you'd like to cancel your subscription? Are you sure you'd like to (laughs) stop being an Amazon prime member? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Those things exist, but in terms of um, how the AI currently does it, it's not that common. But I think that's just because um, they couldn't find. It's just a language model, first of all. It's okay. not. It's all not right. very complicated. Um, this is actually a really interesting thing we could transition from. With that is, so the language models are good and useful and great at what they do, but they only go so far because they're language models. Right. It's only about interpreted language. You have to have the language set going into it. Exactly. So there's a new type of model that has been uh, taking people's attention. Uh, One of the companies that's promoted it the most and done the most work for it is a company called Rabbit. And they've made a thing called the Rabbit R1. Okay. Um, Give me one second. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um. The Rabbit R1 is a handheld device. It's about yay big. Okay. It's got a touch screen on it. It's got an analog scroll wheel that acts as a button, a okay. push to talk button, far field mic, 360 camera. Okay. It, not 360, but it rotates 360 degrees. With a so it's capture. Barrel. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's front and back. Um, and it has a SIM card slot. And what's interesting about this is they're selling a device for like well, $199. Something like that. But it's no subscription. Okay. After that to use their services. And essentially it's this large action model driven device. And what the large action model is doing as opposed to a large language model is it's really good at navigating interfaces 
okay. and actually interfacing with things like your computer or your phone or web applications. It's finding doors and alleys and pathways and opening and closing them. Right. Exactly. So okay. it obviously interprets language because you ask it requests through mm -hmm. speech. But instead of going, uh, let's say, I want to go on a vacation to Bali. Okay. Right. If I give that to a language model, that language model is going to interpret the words as a sentence, right? Right. And then it takes that sentence and it tries to apply rhetoric to it. It's trying to understand the who, what, when, where, why, how. Right. right? The fives. Right. Um, but it's not doing how. It's just who, what, when, where, why. Right. Right. Because it can't actually do how. It's just a language model. It can't perform actions like that. It can. But that's not what it's actually trying to do. Right. It's we trying to should, interpret language this and is, respond with language. Yeah, this is a base element AI as opposed to some of the terror things that we've heard. These are AIs that have teraflops and petaflops of information in, in running space. This is not that. So you're yeah. using a language model. And then the large application models are interesting or large action models are interesting because that same request is – uh, I would like to go to Bali becomes not in the robot's mind a question of, okay, so um, I'm going to plan you a trip to Bali, but I'm just going to write those words out for you and give you links and stuff like that. It goes, okay, I can go book you a plane ticket. Right. Do you like this plane ticket? Because it knows how to navigate the interface. So right. it goes, plane ticket to Bali for one person on these dates. Then it goes, okay, what's the next step in that? A uh, hotel? What about Question this hotel? Mark. Right. What about this car? What about blah, blah? And it literally performs the action because it's not interpreting it as a as a sentence. Uh, it's interpreting as a series of actions. Right. That's how it reads that sentence. It goes, I would like to go on a trip. Okay, so I'm going to go open, uh, I don't know, Fandango, not Fandango. Um <laughs> We can watch a movie about one it of if the, you like. <laughs> Don't limit yourself, baby. <laughs> one of the one of the many flying services. Expedia. Expedia. Yeah, yeah exactly. Navigates the interface, makes you a whole plan, does all of it for you. Right. And what's funny is you're exactly right because when you're navigating through Expedia, et cetera, as you go through the steps, it'll say, are you going to need a rental car? Yeah. Mm -hmm. when, right. when, when are you traveling? What mm -hmm. kind of dates? Are you going to have a baby with you? Are you going to put the baby in the bottom of the plane? Is it going to ride in the seat next to you? You know, yeah. it asks all of these questions, and it does. It wants to move you through it, but as you so succinctly put, it is opening a door, closing a door, walking through a pathway. Da, da, there's no inference whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's presenting you with the option to say yes or no. That's where it ends up. Mm -hmm. That's your go-to link. Yeah, you know. So when it comes to stuff like to bring it back to the echo, when it comes to stuff like that, the way that I think about it is, in terms of language. Uh, we've gotten pretty far into what it can do. Um, I think the future of something like that for those companies is integrating those large language models with advanced language capacities like inflection, right? Like um, slang, 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 and using more colloquial terms, right? Like, Keeping things a little more real. Where you're talking about, yeah, and you know then you're I mean? talking about local mm -hmm. local dialects, dictions, mm -hmm. speech etiquette, and and actually dropping a lot of that. Exactly, and utilizing it back right. exactly so that it feels like you're talking to. If, let's say you're in London and you're Cockney, you're talking to somebody who is from that area. You know right. what I mean? Mm -hmm. From that same area, you're I don't know, Puerto Rican 
you're talking to a Puerto Rican. You're right. not talking to some right. white person. Or well, it's it's the, the the great videos yeah. that they have with the guys from Scotland that are constantly trying to use the voice activated systems, like the one <laughs> yeah, in the elevator. Yeah, they can't. They, they can't. can't. Right. It doesn't understand them. You know, and what's amazing about that is that I've heard people with horrifically thick accents from South America. Mm-hmm. You know, they're coming from Belize and Portugal and Brazil and and I can't understand them. You know, you might not be able to understand mm-hmm. them. We both speak Spanish. We can't yep. understand them. And yet the the AI will get it every time. But if you take a guy from Scotland and he has to go to the second floor in an elevator, he can't get there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's bizarre. It's, you know, amazing because <laughs> we were talking about it in relation to this. They have the, like you were saying, the large AI models. You know, they've got one now that they've been using in relation to uh, uh, discerning dolphin and whale language. And they've got to the point now where they're actually identifying action aspects of the language and they can speak back to the dolphins and say, they can bring one dolphin in and in their language, they can say, all right, we want you. And this is the amazing part because it's being AI generated. The AI will say, okay, we want you to do something that you've never done before. Okay, that's a very creative model linguistically. So they've shown and proven the dolphin will go off and do it. And then they can bring in another dolphin and the dolphin will be like, okay, we want you both to go off, talk to each other and figure out something you've never done before, you know, physically come back and perform it. They've managed to, to, you know, to generate this task. And they're even coming to the point now from an AI standpoint, at least of understanding there's a, there's a a fake killer whale, right? Which is, uh, it's an offshoot of a pilot whale and they have dolphins up in, uh, uh, up near, you know, Nova Scotia and they get together every year at the same time and they hunt King mackerel. And what they found out with the use of AI is that they were like, well, are the dolphins speaking whale or are the whales speaking dolphin? Because they're not the same Mm -hmm. languages. What they found out is that the dolphin and the whale has created a third language, actually. Mm. And you know this from video gaming. An intermediary language. A common speech. Yeah. Right now. So it's like, you know, street talk, like in Blade Runner, you know. And so it's a smattering of the two that they can come together and they can understand what it is that they're doing. And AI has helped us figure that out. And yet, (laughs) we look at AI and there's the famous story of the Google AI in the auto drive system that failed to recognize the stop sign, right. you know, because someone had put a band sticker on the, mm-hmm. on the darn thing and it identified it as a dog and sped up. <laughs> and in the translation, it would have killed the dog had the dog been in the intersection. No, exactly. Yeah. And it blew through the stop sign, you know, and when they went back to figure it out, so many times you've heard this, they come back and they say, we don't know why it did that. But it was blaring Metallica the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Which they gave an A plus of. That's that was a good, you know, they run on the good bad model. They were like, this good. Metallica good. <laughs> I don't think you should punish robots. <laughs> you shouldn't. They, right, that's no. not how they learn. No, well, so it's you not. And so they left the Metallica in there. They did not put Taylor Swift back in there. <laughs> Had they wanted to punish 
Then they put a Swifty song in there. No, we got in trouble because it was actually a business time sticker. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All know. I have to say is thank God we learned how to talk to dolphins without drugs. Well, yeah. no, so apparently we, we lost Mike for about a month because he was down in, where, where was it, the, the Caribbean getting jerked off by a scientist? Oh, no, was, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that, that was whole. You were the dolphin. He was that's incredible. Dolphin. Yeah, no, so we, it took her about a to, month to figure out it was actually, um, you know, Mike. Yeah, the, the, the deep blue eyes. So there was, when they were doing all of but the. He speaks dolphin now. Yeah, when they were doing all of the, uh, all of the. All of the uh, when they were doing all of the research, especially in the seventies, like my my son, my second oldest, he works at a place. We'll just leave the location alone. What we will tell you because it's not classified. It's an aquarium. He's in a, and he's of a itself, yeah. <laughs> he's it's a his, yeah, it's his dolphin. So there are biologics in use that mm-hmm. protect a body of water where he's near. And they have many different purposes, <laughs> you know, some of which actually you won't leave the harbor if that particular biologic catches you, right? And so they're using these models, but to get to those models, a lot of the early people doing the behavioral science and language testing were doing it in the 70s. And so one of them was this famous researcher, this woman that was doing research with one male dolphin. That should have been, that should have been like the the warning note right off the bat. They're like, have you used any other dolphins? She said, no, yeah, I'm, only and, gonna, I'm only talking to this one. Yeah, and, and then she was like, you know, Pablo and I, we have a you know an amazing relationship, and they should have worried right there. They've been like, you named it, <laughs> so she's generating amazing results, better than anybody else in the field. You know, I the dolphin understands this. I can get the dolphin to do that. You know, we're we're figuring out the language barrier. So what they find out though, when she submits her her first paper, they wanted to know was there any Skinnerist. Mm-hmm. reactions that were being interesting term too, right? Mm-hmm. So any Skinnerist, you know, or Pavlovian actions being taken to initiate you and the dolphin's learning time. Cause like, you know, Pavlovian ring the bell, you know, ring, ring, ring dog does what it's supposed to do. You get a treat. Well, she took it a step further. <laughs> so from a, from a, a Pavlovian standpoint, the dolphin was always sexually aroused when it was near her. So she believed that it wasn't going to be able to concentrate <laughs> on what it wanted to do. So she would manually ejaculate the the dolphin, which is the most scientific mannerism by which I can conduct that sentence. <laughs> okay. Speaking of talking about language model. All right. <laughs> she would she would manually handle <laughs> the dolphin. And once he was satisfied, air quotes, Dr. Evil style, once he was satisfied, they would continue on with the lesson. The thing that got me about this, though, is that all the rest of the scientists were like, well, now we can't use your information. And it was like, dude, the dolphin wasn't lying to her because of this. It was, <laughs> yeah, I think the dolphin said He was her just up. a genius. <laughs> well, he was, was just, he was probably in his most right mind because of the post nut clarity. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing I said the same thing. It's real I was people. like, we had post nut clarity is real. Yeah, we had the most <laughs> even for dolphins. intelligent <laughs> dolphin ever. Right. This was a Lex Luthor of dolphins, right? And what do we get? Yeah, you can't use that information. Take oh, your you can't have yeah, it. yeah, sorry. You know, sorry. The, the reason we're getting rid of all this information is you tried to use Kleenexes to wipe them up near a body of water, and that was stupid. So you're an idiot too, Karen. You know, and that's they're all the. But anyhow, you know they so they killed 
They killed all that research, which probably would have shown them, yeah, look, these guys are really, really smart. They have the largest cranial brain capacity of any creature on the planet. Oh, he's smart. Yeah, and it's not yeah, just, yeah, and that guy, that guy sure. is, yeah, yeah, that guy was a genius. He's thinking, thinking with the right hand. Yeah. <laughs> So I got me a, uh, a dolphin disguise and headed down south. And let me tell you, it was real. You're that clarity. Like that researcher incredible. Uh, yeah, amazing. We learned so much. Yeah. She couldn't figure out why the Latin knew, why the dolphin knew Latin and, and mathematics. And, you know, she thought she was on to something. She was yeah. like, oh, my God, he speaks English now. She's in the water reciting Shakespeare on his back. Yeah. You know, it seems to be technologically advanced. She thought she found alien dolphin is what it was. And then I had to break up with her. You know, I was like, it's not you. It's me. It's me. I'm not a dolphin. Yeah. You were stupid enough to think I was a dolphin. I'm sorry. I needed, you know. So, but anyhow, yeah. So, in terms of that model, I yeah. think what Amazon will end up doing probably is integrating large action models into their equipment as well. Now, so this is interesting while we're on this subject. Today, we found out that the FCC has now passed regulation saying oh, that yes. all robocalls that were utilizing AI are now banned. They're outlawed because of all of the scamaroofki that's going on. And so that limits some of that aspect. But the more important thing is that, you know, we know now that AI only has to hear your voice for three seconds to imitate it perfectly. Oh, was, 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of work that was done with that because we have the new Beatles album, Thank You. We didn't want that, Einstein, <laughs> you know, and, it, you know, because you're generating, according to Ralph, three, <laughs> three of the Beatles' voices, not just four, three. <laughs> so, you know, but anyhow, we, we talked about that and it was like, you know, this is ridiculous, you know, and we've got friends that are ardent diehard Beatle fans. I'm one of them. And I was like, I don't want to hear an AI generated. Because it's not Beatles real. Song. Yeah, right. exactly. But then we get that idiot Cheryl Crow, <laughs> and, you know, and she was like, remember, she did a whole album just recently, all based on her thinking about AI. And thank you. Did I went into the studio and I started to think about AI, and an yeah, album came you out. You know, and I didn't, I didn't see her at the Grammys. Yeah, I know. So I guess it wasn't <laughs> that great. Mazel tov, it's a boy. So she gave birth to this AI model, and you know, maybe the AI struck her down. I think, I think the Echo in the room heard this and was like, "No, there's no way. This is not our spokesman." Killer sales, killer. You know, it was an underground job. Yeah, just but sit down, Cheryl. Yeah, you know, and and so we have this misinterpretation of what it can be, right? And one of the things that that we don't fully grasp is how these things are really able to change what it is that we hear. Because when they were like, yeah, the problem with the three-second thing is that especially generated, like you're saying, with you know the actual activity of what the AI is doing, it's good, bad, because that's all of the accomplishment tasking for AI is largely based on good, bad game theory, right? Yeah, this is good, this is bad, this is bad. And we do see that AI is also utilizing its own workarounds, which isn't good because that's part of the science they can't explain is when it does that, you know, with right. the whole, you know, with the whole, you know, are you a robot thing? Well, I can't, not answer this, but I know that I shouldn't answer this. So what do I do? I go out and I get a third, a third party company that can lie for me, 
right? Which is what the AI did in that instance. But mm -hmm. uh, on the other side of that, we're looking at AI that's, like you said, it's it's has to move from that procedural standpoint. And if we actually look at inflection, et cetera, especially with, you know, now they found that the AI used to be just a computational aspect, right? Okay, we're going to put this much processing power behind it, this much processing power behind it. And now we've been doing it long enough so that it's come literally down to dollars. So they're like, okay, if you throw $10,000 at this problem, we'll be able to build you an AI model that can do A, B, C, and D. If you threw, threw $10 million at it, it's A through M. And it can also attack the smaller AI and get whatever it needs from it. And then they're like, if you throw a hundred million at, so now it's just dollars, you know, it's just money. You throw X amount of dollars at the AI problem, we will be able to program AI for you that can do whatever it is that you want based on how much money you want to throw at the task. You know, and I think that a company like Amazon, what's its net worth right now? Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even tell you. Enough. Yeah, 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 too much. Yeah. A, lot. <laughs> a lot. My first answer would be a lot. So the god Bezos, as I think he's known, on the shop floors for Amazon. <laughs> Something like that, right? Lord, Lord Bezos. Bezos. Lord Bezos. Da Daddy Bezos. <laughs> Daddy Bezos. I like that. Daddy Bezos. Daddy Bezos. <laughs> Daddy Bezos. Oh, man. He just reaches yeah. out with a blue finger and makes you smile. <laughs> you know, Chuck Norris style. <laughs> so, but, you know, it, it, they're like, all right, we have all of this information. You know, we have all this data set material. Now we just need to incorporate it into something that is going to present the client, the customer with a language that they can't say no to because we have the algorithm now. That, okay, we need to persuade this customer to do this, this, then this, this. May even be politically oriented. Who knows? Maybe scientifically oriented. But they're like, well, this is the outcome that we want. We can't survive that. The average human being is too stupid to figure that out, quite literally. And that includes, you know, most of the people that we know because they're not critically thinking about, oh, I shouldn't answer that. Because right. the machine may have asked that, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why do you need my social security number? Well, I just want to buy toilet paper. That the FCC yeah. has come out and said, oh, hey, you know, no more no more AI, you know, making robocalls and things like that. Um, whenever we, I about three weeks ago, or <laughs> maybe a month ago, um, I, uh, I was talking to a company called Air AI, um, and what they specialized in doing was actually building you or your company a uh, basically like a personal AI uh, phone robot that you could feed the leads to, and then based on how have you, you know, like your structured your, your business and your sales and whatnot, uh, this thing would actually call and you know try to make sales for you. Mm. And when I was talking to the individual, um, I think it was a real person. Um, <laughs> He, after, didn't know he comes in and goes, after, I think I may have just spoken to an AI. Yeah, no, no. Well, well I, I, I did talk to their, their AI, AI, you know, like version that they had to, to demo and show people like me. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, it was $10,000 for them to build you this, this AI individual. So it, like, it like, follows okay. the dollar cents model we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, right. all right. And it takes them about like 30 days to put this thing together. Um and so literally the, the next day I talked to uh, the owner of a company uh, that we're actually, you know, try, we're in, in business with now. Um, and uh, he, so going back to Air AI, um, the voice that I was talking to was, you know, like an Australian or like a New Zealand right. 
you know, voice. Well, the guy that I was talking to was from, I believe it was Australia. Uh, and I stopped him and I was like, whoa, hang on a second. And I started like kind of like I, <laughs> almost messing with him in a sense because I was like, I just talked to an AI that sounded just like you. Yeah. And, and he thought it was a funny thing. And come to find out he had actually talked to the same company. So it's interesting. Uh -huh. This was just like a month ago. See, and that's um, the scary thing that they figured out that quickly. It's like, hey, dialect. And, you know, let's go ahead yeah. and give them an accent. But yeah. so, like, let's let's pivot a little bit. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we're we're talking about that. Um, we we're still talking to AI every single day. Uh, Taco yeah. Bell, um, Wendy's, and I think even McDonald's Cosmics. have have incorporated yeah. AI into their drive-through. Oh, 100%. So a lot of the time, and, and as we all know, we've all been in the drive-thru when you're talking to someone who you can't understand, this this removes that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the, the data will be there for companies like Amazon and Walmart and, you know, whoever to, to you know, start start playing with that inflection a little oh, bit more. Oh, 100%. I agree yeah. with that. You know, and they took the model. They took the idea. They, what's funny is they just grabbed it from the NSA. Utah has got their Bluffdale, uh, or the NSA has got their Bluffdale um, division in Bluffdale, Utah. There is their, their, their uh, building out there quite literally is bigger than all of Fort Meade underground you're talking about the best supercomputers that money can buy over 80 percent of them have already been filled and everybody was like well with what and they're like oh yeah we're not even gonna worry about classifying this information we just gathered all of the information from the internet european uk as much as we could get for you know transactions coming out of russia etc and we grabbed that information all of it all the browser information etc OK, and it took everybody a while to ask the right questions. They're like, wait a minute, that's 128 bit encrypted. Why would you grab that information if you can't read it? And then as they was like, well, I, I didn't say I couldn't read it. You know, <laughs> no, they can read it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, they can read it. Everybody panicked because they're like, they're like, oh, God, NSA just broke 128 bit. And, you know, there are sites now that are like, oh, yeah, we're 256 bit. And you and I and we all know that's a bunch of BS because they're not, you know, Kaspersky Labs screenshots every time you turn your computer on and sends that information back to Moscow in the clear. No encryption. You know, that's why their sales went down so much. But the point being is everyone was like, then they were like, why are you gathering all this information? And so they didn't answer. So others began to ponder. And they were like, yeah, the reason they grabbed that information is imagine what type of indicators and prediction models they're going to be able to build. Every decision that's ever been made with England, Scotland, Ireland, all of the, the Western European countries, and we will know and be able to predict how they're going to react to things based on their social integration models, which is mind-blowing because, you know, like you said, it's that volume of information. We're just feeding them. We're like, here, have it, have my voice. You know, by the way, I want a cafe mocha with that, you know. And <laughs> they take that. for that. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe latte, whatever you want, you know. So, but, you know, in in, in relation to this and in not knowing who an AI is or what an AI is or what type of product that you're actually associating with, we got a fight going on in the, in the cyber currency that is based on a who is it, not a who done it, a who, who is it. Who done up and done it. Yeah, and we're talking about Satoshi Nakamoto. 
Uh, mm. the, the, Bitcoin, quote unquote, right. creator of Bitcoin, Bitcoin founder. Okay, yeah. so let's break this down succinctly for the audience. Tell us who we should assume Satoshi Nakamoto is. He is the founder of Bitcoin. Okay, like uh, like Adam said. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but his name has been put forward by other people claiming to be him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let's let's try to clarify that. Adam, yes, like maybe Adam will know. Uh, is Satoshi Nakamoto uh, one individual, or is it kind of like a Dread Pirate Roberts from uh, the Silk Road uh, situation, where it's multiple individuals acting as as one? Well, that's the fun is nobody knows exactly. They're all right, right. it's all cons- it's all th- theories. Um, there's theories that it's an individual named mm-hmm. Satoshi Nakamoto. There's theories that are it's secret groups of either, you know, really intelligent programmers or federal groups, you mm-hmm. know, Illuminati, three letter agencies, yeah, Illuminati, right. stuff like that. Um, the real curious thing about all of that is that. Uh, I forget exactly which agency, but released a paper uh, way before Bitcoin was ever made about a currency that works a lot like Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, it was the NSA. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what. Yeah. I don't remember what the name of the project was. They were um, talking about originating, which they have now deployed, what they call spear tip teams that yeah. were attached to an anonymous cyber currency that they didn't have a name for at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so this is a problem because we won't be able to track the transaction. This well, and, is what we should be. And so that's about. why I bring up the Dread Pirate Roberts and the Silk Road deal. Because mm-hmm. as you know, uh, when, you know, the Silk Road came out, which was, you know, the black, uh, the black market of the internet, if you will, um, the only way you could purchase things off of the website uh, safely was through Bitcoin. And I remember uh, when I bought my first Bitcoin, it was like 13 cents. Yeah. You know, um, so it's just, it's you funny buy because. pizza with Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. No, and nobody knew what to do with right, it. Right, right. You know, everyone's like, what do we, what do, we do with this? So you know? right now, the, uh, the UK, there's a UK courthouse that's kicked off a trial this week that could determine who actually is the creator of Bitcoin. There's an individual by the name of Craig Wright. Oh, say that, say that right. Craig. Craig Wright, mate. Craig Wright. Um, yeah, I apologize. Um, Craig Wright. He's an Australian computer scientist. He said he is the creator, the, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, okay, so- no, no. He says he's Craig Wright, but right, he's like, right, right, right. I did this. When they're talking about Satoshi Nakamoto, they're talking about me. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so since 2016, he has apparently launched several lawsuits against multiple dele- uh, developers uh, suing them for his intellectual property. Right. Um, Which is bizarre because it, answer- it asks the question. All right. So you would imagine that if he couldn't prove that he was Satoshi Nakamoto, mm-hmm. He would be able to point to someone and say, hey, that's Satoshi right. Nakamoto. And instead, and we ferreted this out ourselves yesterday, the lawsuit is against Satoshi Nakamoto at all. Right. So it's whoever may be using that pseudonym. Exactly. So uh, there's a nonprofit that was actually created by the Twitter creator, Mr. Jack Dorsey. Um, and he's he's saying that uh, Craig Wright is not the uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, you'd think, okay. 
So go, go, go. <laughs> think, put it think, we have tin foil, by the way. You'd oh, think oh, you'd oh, make yeah. something that grand. And <laughs> we have tin foil hats. It's incredible. You'd think you'd oh, make something. You'd think you'd make something like that. And if you cared even a shred about people knowing who you were, mm-hmm. you'd have done it either when you launched it or shortly after you launched it. Why did it take what? It's 2016, I think. Eight it? years. Oh yeah. To decide exactly to reveal something about and what's, yourself. What's interesting right. about that aspect of the argument is you, you remember the movie, the 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 reimagining of the movie, The Italian Job. Seth Green's character in that claimed that he was the originator of Napster. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that he fell asleep one night and his roommate stole it. And mm-hmm. so, like, when he hacks anything, he says, you know, you've been hacked by the original Napster. And it's like, dude, why, you know, if you thought this was going to be that great, if you're Mark Zuckerberger, who left his fingerprints, and he talks about this, all over everything, and it's like, yeah, the the social networking program that we, you know, originally was designed to create the, you know, the best, you know, potato salad that you could imagine mm-hmm. that Facebook was largely involved with, you know, and, and grabbed. He made sure that after that point in time, once they grabbed those algorithms, he was like, yeah, fingerprint, fingerprint, finger, you know, this is Mark Zuckerberg's baby. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird thing to say. Can you say that? <laughs> yeah. It, all in favor say, I'm Mark Zuckerberg's baby. <laughs> Back in the seventies, the eighties, we would have said Gene Kirkpatrick's baby, but <laughs> now it's Mark Zuckerberg's baby. So, but you know, it's funny that you say that because it's like, yeah, where's the fingerprint? I mean, you okay? So let's let's really deep dive malware, AI infections, the whole nine yards for a second, and say let's look at Stuxnet, okay. The malware, we know that the NSA developed it. We know that they did it in collusion with Section 8000, which is the NSA in Israel. We know that they came to part. We know that the Israelis got got well, impatient with it. They screwed up in an attempt to continue to infect the Iranian centrifuges, and it gets out. Mm-hmm. Okay? We, we know all of this. We know that the two creators, brilliant minds of the original creators of Norton Antivirus, they're the ones that first took a look at the, the commercial variant that, that had infected millions of computers, Windows operating systems the world over. You know, we're talking about a malware that was amazingly originally written to work on a programmable logic circuit. But it was actually affecting things that weren't programmable logic circuits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's out there. And it, it, everyone's starting to find it because it's shutting things down. You know, it's hammering the IoT. Everything that's on the outside of the Internet, computers and everything else, are getting hammered by this thing. Then when the guys from Norton start to take it apart, they find one line of code. That says it's Stuxnet V.1. And they're like, oh my God, this is a version number. So the ver- what we have may not even be the final version, but this, no, exactly. this is. And when they started talking about that, they're like, this is interesting because when we deal with malware and viruses, things you would assume that have the highest degree of anonymity built into them. No. The 
code or the hacker exactly will leave some signature that this is my yeah, work. Right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> let him know. You gotta yeah. let him know who it was. You gotta yeah. let him know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I threw my beat down. I don't work for free. My code yeah. was strong. Know who was. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, no, you're right because when you have that piece of malware or that piece of virus, or if you've been the individual that's ferreted out that zero day exploit, you put your name to it because that zero day exploit, like, Oh, Someone else is going to come say it was theirs. An artist oh, yeah. leaves their signature on yeah. everything. And they, or should. Every black you know? hat I've ever met in my life thinks of themselves in that, that yeah, thing. There are, there are definitely coders that are incredible creatures. That they are. That have no ego mm -hmm. and could totally just do something like that with no need to leave a mark. They don't care who claims it after that. Right. But they just did it. The general majority of people who do that type of activity enjoy the the yeah. troll in it yeah yeah, yeah like, well because yeah. that's their master that's their art that's right. their that's their yeah. piece of baby you know that's they don't right. want somebody to come around and go oh i made i right. made this exploit blah blah right. blah oh yeah well cool go tell everybody how it works though. yeah and here <laughs> you know and like if you're like you were saying you know on silk road you're on the black web if you find like a zero day exploit that's worth five six million now uh, yeah. If you're the one that finds it, boom. Yeah. And I mean, because you walk to the company and you go, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, look what I found. If you want me to release this, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, talk yeah, about this, yeah, this be bad. It's basically and, its own like form of ransomware. No, to, well, and, to a point. No, it is. It yeah. is. And, you know, I, I was telling and it's not, it's funny to think about it like that because it is. I but, am, I am asking you to pay me for this thing, but like, I'm, Showing you a problem that's actually a problem right, that no. you should like yeah. really yeah, take care of. You should fix it if it becomes don't... public information. Right. Because let's say I release a zero day, right? Right. And I want to make a threat. It's not a threat so much as it is trying to negotiate with mm -hmm. the company and try to explain how important it is. But no, because you're, you're not right. releasing the exploit. You're it's releasing the fact that the exploit is possible right right so i'm not giving anybody the ability yeah. to do the thing but, but i am letting the public know that's that there's there. a problem yeah yeah and that's bad publicity that well, that company right. doesn't want it's funny that it, we we did it when i was working up in alaska and that's my responsibility right. as a security developer right. no and i agree with that yeah but I, let's not let's not chew the fundamental fat here that's a threat Oh, 100%. Because, it, because what it is is it's, it's extortion. You're like, okay, look, I found this thing. In classic Windows fashion, you guys are rushing to production. You have a bunch of zero-day flaws. I happen to find, and especially if it's a bad one. Well, it's, ex mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's extortion, but it's extortion probably in the most, like, proper fashion. Like, you it's know, professional. You, exactly. It's you very like, professional. If you, look at, if you exactly. look at ransomware where you may or may not get the encryption key after you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you won't. <laughs> like, and the only way know. it's actually really extortion, I think this is something a lot of companies should consider when they have software, hardware mm -hmm. that has any sort of, if you're not making plastic, you should be allowing people to submit these kinds of things to you. Right. Because yeah. that's beneficial to you and you want that. You don't want it to feel like a ransom right. scenario. No, where absolutely. I have to negotiate with you. Mm -hmm. Well, and that you're would, gonna, but that again, would, I think yeah. that that falls back on like the coders of the company, like you know, they're in their yes, ego. They should have the know? incentive to go, "Hey, right, boss, CEO, whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever your name is, let's decide 
to allow a, a mm-hmm. like a bounty program basically for our company. I feel like that's how you keep it from getting out of hand where people are coming in and being like, I want $5 million. But, and granted. Like, no, we pay people you know, yeah. $10,000 for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. $10,000 right. and we pay right. this poor schlep over here that's behind the Death Star Legos, you know, right. $80,000 a year and he's our security <laughs> expert. You know, and the poor, this poor guy though, He's buried in work. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I've yeah. been fighting zero day exploits for the last year. What month is it? You know, and <laughs> exactly. You know, it. That's the problem, though. And the thing is, though, is that the companies aren't altruistic, right. and they're mm-hmm. not going to do it. I mean, whether you look at it from an OS standpoint with Microsoft, or you look at it from like a video game standpoint with like Bethesda. How many things have they released where it's just like, dude, you couldn't take five minutes to fix this? You know, and it's just horrific. And that's what we know now is that these companies, they build that expense Mm -hmm. like we used to deal with in HIPAA. They build the expense of the violation and the quote unquote extortion into the business model. They're like, someone's going to hit us for this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like Walmart. You have to expect that somebody's going to shoplift from you. You account for it. And what's funny is, you know, in that that system, in that model, what's funny is that the severity of the, 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 the theft now is to an extent where it's blown out their estimations of shrink. But, you know, getting back to this, okay, so you're exactly right. I agree with you. I know Ralph does in relation to saying, hey, you know, where are the fingerprints? You should have said this. Now, one of the things that we're dealing with, though, also is that, like, if you look like at the UAE, okay, when you look at the UAE indexes, most of them are actually backed to a leverage standpoint of about 40% by cyber currencies, okay? We mm-hmm. also know that Bitcoin was like, yeah, we're not attached to the U.S. Fed anymore, and we're not attached to the gold standard or the U.S. dollar. You can't measure us against that standard anymore because we're standing on our own two feet, mm-hmm. which I thought was incredible, mm-hmm. you know? But you've been talking about other aspects of cyber currency that are up and coming. We wanted to just get you know your feelers for that. Yeah, the ERC four hundred four. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, ERC four hundred four is a really interesting new uh, Ethereum uh, coin standard that just got put out like within the last four days. <laughs> okay, um, it's brand new. Um, it was made by a team uh, that developed the project. It's a token and NFT project called Pandora. Um, And the team at Pandora developed this new uh, standard, and it's very cool because it's a combination of an ERC-20, which is just a traditional token. Right. uh, No pictures or anything like that. And then an ERC-720, which is your traditional NFT. Right. Okay. Um, It's a combination of the two married together. So that was considered not possible at all before. If you wanted to create a project, you were either uh, an NFT project, like an image project or a picture project or whatever, or a token. Right. Which is just a, a currency exchange, essentially. Um, but with ERC-404, you have the capacity to do both now because they're integrated with each other. And it's very, very cool and interesting. Um To make everybody excited, Pandora, we can check what it's at right now, went from... Its initial launch price of around two hundred dollars to yesterday, it was sitting pretty at around nineteen thousand in about four hours. In about Jeez. four days, 
You know, this no, may be days. the only situation where if given the opportunity, I want to walk up and kick Elon Musk right in the oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> 23,000 right now. Oh, geez. Right. Wow. Just so everybody on the camera. <laughs> yeah. 23,000. 23,000. And it started out at four days ago. $200. Four days ago. Wow. And the simple fact of the matter is, unless somebody makes a stupid comment of uh, uh, hold my beer, I'm going to make a, a cyber currency in a day and name it after my dog. You know, thank you, Elon, really. But what's interesting, okay, so what levels of, of you know, because we know one of the big problems in relation to Bitcoin is that you can actually track the decoders mm -hmm. the, that are working at, you know, de-encrypting each one of the coins. Why? Because it takes basically, you know, you use uh, video game cards, graphics cards, they run the most RAM internally, and then you can subsequently attach that to other RAM within the side, confines of that device, and it just runs really fast. You can run the numbers very quickly like that, but we also know that it generates an incredible amount of heat, and you use a stunning amount of power to oh, do so. so. Much. You know, so much. I've got a friend of mine that has a, uh, a de-encryption farm in Colorado Springs. He bought the house just to do that. Yeah, it's probably perfectly located. Yeah. Great internet, great yep. electricity prices. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and actually that actually hit him. I a couple of years ago he called he and I were talking and I was like, So how you doing, man? And he was like, Well, he's like, things are a little tight right now. And I was like, Really? And he goes, Yeah, because that was during that little session where Bitcoin got devalued and it went mm -hmm. down to like two grand a coin, you know, and yep. he was panicking and he's like, he's like, right now just because of the cost of electricity as a farmer you know a bitcoin farmer as a farmer i can't pay the electricity costs of the yep. house because they're like five thousand dollars a month right yeah right. yeah so and it's one of the things that you know we were able to you know i know through people that i've worked with that that was one of the primary tracking sources that we re we had actually violated other nations um energy grids mm -hmm. and we were tracking the usage and it was like any place that was not industrial that was residential and was using what you should have been using in an industrial zone it was like yeah it's a bitcoin farmer mm -hmm. right. you know and, and it was very very easy well it's funny that's actually how they used to find uh indoor weed farmers yeah too. same yeah. thing all the heat generated yeah. on your roof melts yeah. your snow yeah. so yeah. if you're going yeah. to get rid Rich or stoned, watch the energy consumption. <laughs> Go solar, right? You know? So, but well, don't it, do it at your house. It's, it's <laughs> funny that, maybe that's the lesson, It's right? funny that you use the, the term farmer, because uh, that'll help us transition to our next uh, little, you know, segment. We'll talk about uh, technology in the agriculture, uh, yeah. you know, segment, um, sector. If I could just wrap up 404 right quick. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. My bad. No, no. Sorry. Do that. Yeah. And I find it interesting that you're also talking about a cyber currency whose name is wrapped up in the blue screen of death. Yeah, <laughs> that is four hundred four. Yeah. What is that? Well, so, the, uh, there's, so there's that a reason. There's a reason behind that. Okay, um, what is it? So, I'll explain how the token works right quick, and then we'll get into why it's called that. Um, four hundred four. So yeah. essentially, the way the token works is, um, when you receive this token, uh, you'll it, let's say you receive point two of it, right? Right. You'll only have point two of the token. Because uh, you can fractionalize ERC-20s. Mm -hmm. What's unique about this is when you're doing that, you're also fractionalizing the NFT. So if right. I receive 0.2 of this, and then later I receive 0.8 of this currency, uh, once I have one, the system automatically will make me and generate an NFT. 
oh. that's associated with that coin. I gotcha. Um, so it's really this cool mechanism where through the exchange of currency, you can generate NFTs, mm-hmm. but you can also fractionalize the NFT because it's a currency. Mm-hmm. So um, it's almost as if they wrapped have, with a currency. They've solved the parent-child issue for cybercurrency. Yeah, because you're actually that, talking about way. yeah, that's amazing. It's really cool, and there's wow. a lot of really interesting mechanisms you can do with that, like ticketing, uh, like access to venues. So here's a good example. Um, let's say you have you're going to a festival, right? Um, like a big Lollapalooza the, the or something. Ball in yeah, Vegas. Lollapalooza, right. right? Big rave. Uh, when you go Man. to those places, they have fake currency, so you exchange real currency right. for their. Rave currency, right? Um, <laughs> so just, essentially, just a jello shot anymore. so essentially, what you could do to replace that kind of system with ERC four hundred four is, you could go, uh, if I buy one of my currency, I get an NFT, right? That right. NFT is now my like VIP pass, right? Right. Um, with that VIP pass, I get to have access to all these places, but since it's also a currency. I can spend the currency that I bought from the company back on the company. Right. I can recycle that currency. Um, and then same goes for regular people. So let's say you bought 0.1 of it or 0.2 of it. I have a general admission pass now because I bought the token. I hold the token. Mm-hmm. So you'll let me in. And once I'm in, I can spend my tokens mm-hmm. in the venue, um, which is a really interesting way to solve uh, a lot of those economy problems that people were having when they were trying to think about how to integrate things like uh, tokens or uh, any kind of cryptocurrency into their event planning or like ticketing and things like that um, because of the fact that you have these you you have this ability to fractionalize it down to however you want to program it you know well, it's um, funny that they, and it's interesting because, you know, just like utilization <laughs> of, of you know, the, the gaming cards to farm it, that economy population problem was actually something they found inside of video game coding a long time ago, which was, that, you know, whether or not you were going to go with persistent economy. Once you generated one and you tried to fractionalize it, it would just end up generating a whole nether one. Mm-hmm. You couldn't partition it like that. So you either had it on where it's like, okay, this is all there is, but you can't spend it in here, mm-hmm. you know, and now they can keep all of that home. So, I mean, the value of the currency must be incredible because it doesn't have to go out. You're like, yeah, you're in the venue, like you said. Yeah. And now you can spend it inside of the venue. Now, granted, you can spend it on the outside too, but look at all of the wonderful things that you can do inside of this gate. Exactly. That's amazing. That helps solve, so for like a rave, for example, or just a big festival, that helps solve the issue of how do you recycle your currency without having to keep constantly generating new tokens and devaluing Mm -hmm. the currency that you have. Because it's constantly coming back to you right. as people are spending it throughout the venue or spending it with each other. Because that could be interpersonal exchange. We're at a venue and right. I go, I'll give you point two blah blah token for this whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? This bottle of water. Um there's a there's also this very interesting thing about it where it has a kind of a loot box aspect to it. Oh. Where let's say you wanted to I don't know, let's say you're getting 
cute pictures on it, right? Cats, collectible rare cats. Right. Uh, and you want to get this really rare cat, but you don't have it. So you can take, let's say you have four tokens, right? You can take 0.2 tokens, send them to another wallet. The system destroys your NFT, the last NFT you received. Right. It destroys it. You send that point two back to your original wallet. You have four again from 3.8. Right. It generates a new NFT, but it's a brand new NFT. It's not a recreation of the old one. It's a whole right. brand new one. It's not a clone. Right. So there's essentially this aspect where you can re-roll right. your NFTs, which is another gamification. There's a lot of really cool gamifications yes. that you can have mm -hmm. with a system that integrates itself like that. And that utilizes that type of and it's funny you answer to the problem. Yeah, you right. wouldn't assume that that model would affect it. You know what I mean? But we are in that day and age where it's like, you know, yes, I need to have Kim Kardashian's face on this cyber currency. Or it's not going to sell well. Yeah, you I know, mean, and like, well, if you attach to this wallet mm -hmm. and destroy it, you'll you have you'll roll it up and you'll get a chance. You know, and that's that. What's funny is that started in the gamer theory model rooms for the role for your call of duty chess when you were playing 100 yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it was like yeah 100%. run over there roll it uh i got a 45 <laughs> or uh <laughs> but what's cool, so what's weapon. cool about this system is instead of going oh i'm gonna roll another box you can go i don't like that gun i'm gonna re-roll that gun yeah right yeah get rid of it get a new one mm -hmm. which and, is amazing yeah it's really really interesting uh how they went about designing the system, and I you love know, this, I love it. It's very cool. When you talk about that, though, and you look at the cybersecurity standpoint, that's another fascinating thing because if you were able to interject that system with a virus and you're utilizing that re-imaging of the NFTs, oh, my God. If you were able to infect one user, that's it because yeah. it would spread like wildfire. So their, their, their security must be crazy. Well, so when it comes to crypto – Security is not all that um, – security is a, is a weird subject when it comes to crypto. The most important thing you have to keep safe are your contract and your wallet. And your contract is safe if your wallet is safe and has been written properly. Um, other than that, your wallet is the most important thing in crypto because that's your only mechanism of access right. to the actual chain. Now, explain for our listeners, because there are a lot of people out there that don't have any Bitcoin, have never had any Bitcoin or anything mm -hmm. like it. Okay. So you have a wallet on your phone, but this isn't exactly the same thing. Now, uh, like the wallet on your phone allows you access to bank cards, whatever you happen to add to it. But we like one of the things that we utilize is ProtonMail. Mm -hmm. And they're really specific in their contract. When you when you sign up for Proton Air Mail, they're like, look, if you lose the recovery key, you're, you're done. They, you mm -hmm. can't get into the system. We're forewarning you. Yep. If you lose this, you lose the account. Yep. And so this is the same method. They're like, all right, we're going to give you this key to the door if you lose that key. And re remember, there was that four-week period where there was a, there was an alter uh, the uh, alternative cyber currency that was being most used by um, people that play Eve, mm -hmm. and they the system went down, 
and no one could access their wallets. And the panic, that's when Bitcoin took its dive because everybody was like, oh my Lord, if we can't access this wallet, what do we do? And there is nothing you can do. You're done. You Eve know. is its own economy nightmare. I only yeah. <laughs> I love that game and it's oh I am just my my son, my second one son, Jacob, he plays it and has for years. He's the one that like he came down and he was like he was like, We gotta switch to YouTube right now. And I was like, it's like twelve at the clock in the morning. I haven't gone to bed yet. And I'm like, Why well, what's the big deal? And he was like, There's a battle going on on Eve. And I was like, what? And this was, what, 2017, 20? It was the huge one. And he was like, yeah, basically inside of Eve, World War Three just kicked off. Yeah, Eve is incredible. Yeah, and The so, lore of Eve is insane. Yeah, and I was just like, my jaw dropped. I'm watching this, you know, Jacob's freaking out. And I was just like, I was like, what's going on? And he's like, <laughs> do you know? He goes, there are fleets that are dying out there that have real world economies attached to them of eight, People are nine, losing ten million hundreds dollars. of thousands of millions of dollars. Yeah. Just gone. Like that. Like that. Because of a game. Yeah. Wow. And I was <laughs> like, incredible. then they, they tooled incredible. it all up. And they were like, after everything was said and done, they're like, yeah, there was a battle on the internet last night in a video game that cost people $350 million. Yep. Gone. Non-recoverable. I believe it. Yep. You know? Because that's all money that they spent on ships. Yeah. That's money that they spent on resources, equipment, time, all these things. Oh. Oh yeah, no, no, it's such a funny game. Jacob I love dived it. it. Yeah, it's hilarious up until the point in time when I'm like, and dude, people, how much and they really go them? in. They go, okay, we're doing it. We're yeah. going to war, and it, they go to war, and then they lose every years of work. Yeah, yeah. we're going to war, and, then, and I love the. I also love the politics. That's I don't play the game. I I listen to Jacob tell me about when he's played the game specifically because mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, well, who did they side with? How did they get this underlying faction? Where did the truths come from? Bada bada bada. I'm just fascinated by that game theory. Yeah, you know, it's like watching Warhammer. You know, same thing. It's <laughs> like, all right, shaky shaky the box. Why is this happening? But so when it comes to crypto wallets, there's yeah, they're unrecoverable. Yeah. So uh, if you lose why is the it keys. set like that? So it's just how. Um, these systems were designed from the get-go. Okay. Um, there's not really a particular reason why you couldn't uh, make wallets that were quote-unquote recoverable. But the, the main reason is because these are just mechanisms. Um, these wallets are things that exist within the network. Right. That's how you can make like paper wallets, right? Because a paper wallet is just a wallet that exists on the network, but your keys and everything are written down on a Absolutely. piece of paper. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of being stored digitally um, or accessed digitally. Uh, things like secret keys and all these things are just mechanisms to recover them. But if you lose those mechanisms, you're screwed. And that's for security. That's why it was designed that way from the get-go um, with Bitcoin is because there's a lot of security in that. If you don't have those secret, if you don't have those keys, you can't access the wallet for better or for worse. And right. because of that, people have lost I was insane ask you. amounts of money. Oh yeah, no, I've heard. I've heard incredible amounts of money who have been just lost. misplaced it. There actually, there was an ep actually an episode of uh, the Big Bang Theory that I saw a snippet of where 
two of the the guys on the show had bought Bitcoin on a computer and it was no longer worked. So they were trying to recover it. Right. They couldn't and recover it. Yeah, yeah. It was like a half a coin or something like that. Yeah. And there, that's a whole thing. That's a whole field. Let's there say you're using like a Trezor. 50 mil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's say yeah. you're using a Trezor uh, mm-hmm. to store your stuff. People, there are people that specialize in attempting to recover mm-hmm. uh, keys from Trezor. None of those things are guaranteed. Right. But sometimes, sometimes you can. Yeah, if you can grab a snippet, I know somebody that's a data recovery specialist for the for the FBI who lives mm-hmm. in in Alaska, and I know that he's made these attempts. And sometimes never, it gets they're there. They're never guaranteed. Sometimes, sometimes you get them. Sometimes yeah. sitting there in the RAM. Sometimes it's yeah, it might available. be sitting there in some bubble memory or something. And you're like, oh look, there it mm-hmm. is. But. Mm-hmm. The likelihood is very minimal, but so you've got this, you've got this one way in, one way out system. All right. And that I agree. It's, it's an interesting security model because, you know, for so long from a network standpoint, you were like, okay, it's something you are, something you bring, something, you know, right. So there's all these different levels of verification. Even today, for most of us, it's authentication, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you don't go with an authenticator app, then we need to send you a text. And if you don't get the text and resend it, then we check with this email that you stopped using back in 1989 and you can't recover that key. So, this is an easy way to handle that. They're like, look, we're not going to put you through all this. Just one way in, one way out. If you lose that key, don't jiggle the door because it's not going to open. So that's that aspect of the security. Now, once you're inside and you've used that key, not much else. Now you have access to that money. It's there. And for 404, real quick, let's get that out of the way because it's driving me insane. Why 404? Uh. It breaks a lot of the sites that you use to analyze uh, the tools. So there's one called EtherScan. Right. That's really popular for scanning the Ethereum network and looking at contracts. And it can read the functions of the contract. So it knows like, oh, this person is transferring something or whatever. And it knows what they're transferring and all these things. But for some reason, it doesn't display if they traded money. It doesn't display the amounts because... It can't understand that. Uh, it can't show the NFTs pictures because it's not set up for that. Uh, there's a few things that it does that breaks uh, some of the convenience aspects of utilizing these tools. Uh, and it confuses a lot of people that try to start developing on it. Right. I was um, going to say from a proprietary standpoint, right. I'm sure it's great. You can't grab it and go. Uh, I mean, you can. That's what I did. I graduated, uh, but, I, but, I, but I've been developing on Solidity for a long time, so I know how mm-hmm. to get it going pretty okay. quickly, and I know how to read it. I know how to get what's going on. Um, so it's actually really simple, which is why it made me so frustrated when I saw it for the first time. I was like, I'm so frustrated because this is so simple. This was such a simple, good idea that could have been made years ago. It just, everyone's too, like, rock-brained mm-hmm. to not think about, oh, why don't we just mash them together we've had, and make them work? We've had two technical solves. One of them is the one that we've we've talked to you about in relation to the IDs. Mm-hmm. Each time we've had these solves, the base company that we're talking to has turned to us and said, there has got to be somebody that has already asked that question. We've asked it ourselves. Always. And what we find out, no. They, they, they didn't ask the question. Everything was right there in front of us, but no one put it together. It was just too simple. It's always know? that. Somebody yeah. somebody has asked that question before, 
But there's a question of has somebody done it? Yeah, and right. um, worked on it. I was just talking to one of my friends about this the other day. Um, there's a unique concept that we don't really consider. Uh, and I don't remember why, I don't remember what company we were talking about this in relation to. Okay. Um, but natural monopolies are very interesting in when you have an idea that's so far out from anything anybody else has thought of or put together in a certain way that you create a new market. Right. Literally. You have instantaneously monopolized. You have, you've, you've, yeah, you're yeah. the first. You're the monopoly because you're the first mm-hmm. and the only one. So, uh, what do you do about that? How do you, how do you go about dealing with the problem that you've just created a monopoly? And in this problem, this guy was getting brought to court for it, for the fact that he was a monopoly. But I, I have to go find out more about it, but I know that right now what he's arguing is this is a natural monopoly. Of course, I'm a monopoly because I don't have any competitors. Right. Because mm-hmm. no one else does. They this. don't exist. Right. I'm the first. Right. And you know, it's a, it's a viable economic and legal argument. You know, how do you protect that? You know, mm-hmm. when you're looking at Alexander Graham Bell, you know, and actually it's Marconi that invented the first phone, you know, but when when you see Bell who immediately ran to the government to get his grant to develop that and he's got the phone system here in the United States, who's naysaying him? Nobody. Right. They've got the telegraph companies, but they're not the same as the phone companies, which is why by the 1970s, you had AT&T. That was it. Mm-hmm. And that's when they broke it up. They're like, no, 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 no. You got to regionalize it. You're a monopoly. We can't have this. So we got Pac Bell and Ma Bell and South Bell and Taco Bell and, you know, <laughs> on and on and on. And so I'd buy a Taco Bell phone. Dude, I'd beat. buy a Taco Bell from Taco <laughs> Bell. Taco Bell phone so I want to be able to dial 411 and have them pick a, and just listen in and have them go, one enchilada, please. Yeah, <laughs> your, your Carol Taco Bell, what number can I get for you, please? That would be awesome. I you know, love that. You get a number. And yeah, a taco. Yeah, all right. I Speed dial taco. Yeah, supreme burrito supreme, dude. I'd be so fat. I'd just be laying in my couch. It's a uh, Verizon Sprint or the Sprint Connect, the walkie-talkie feature, <laughs> right. but straight yeah. to the Taco Bell. Yeah, <laughs> push the button like the old Nextels. Yeah. yeah, Taco Bell. See, <laughs> <laughs> sí, señor. You know, and just go from there. That's so funny. But you know, it 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 and so here's an interesting st- uh, idea about that. So we've got Bitcoin. And it's it still to this day, that's the king of the hill. And it's very unlikely that it's ever really going to be toppled because it's had it's just had more time on this planet, period. And there's some things that you can't get away from like that. But you look at this, you look at it at 404, you know, and you're like, okay, people are they Bitcoin has proved it. It's like, okay, it's sustainable and it is its own currency and we can trade in it and we can use it from an economic standpoint, just like you do with cash. And there are better aspects of it, right? And so then we have 404, right? Doing the same thing. When does it become a problem when one of these companies, and we, Ralph and I have talked about this, decides that they're going to get in bed with a federal agency like you know, and they're like, okay, well, we want to develop Fed now. Ah, yeah. Okay, we want to develop Fed now. We know we want a cyber 
security currency. We need it because since the you know since we killed the gold standard and we're no longer based on that, you know, the U.S. dollar has been devalued to such a massive extent. We're selling bad debt to China as fast as we can make it. Our the dollar isn't worth anything anymore. So bad and to such an extent that Bitcoin was like, yeah, you, you've devalued so much that we aren't even evaluated based on your selling points because the U.S. dollar doesn't lead anything anymore mm -hmm. except for how many of them you're printing. And so if you're – when does this break down and become a bad idea from a federal standpoint for a cyber currency? Um, so I should clarify that ERC-404 exists on the Ethereum network. Yes, So it's okay. an Ethereum coin. Um, but in terms of, I, I guess I should ask to clarify, do you mean like when is it, when is the currency itself bad for the economy from a federal perspective? Right, because the federal perspective, number one, everything goes it's centralized. All of your processing is centralized because it is a cyber currency. It's a digital mm -hmm. currency. Number two, being a government agency, the first thing that you have is oversight. And yeah. therefore, oversight leads to control. Control leads to, okay, we can it's deterministic we can to tell we can tell you what you're spending your money on oh they can do that yeah so it's like so the a good example of that is um you can look at like what they did to other networks like the tor network mm -hmm. right when the tor network first Explain came out that to people no yeah. one's going to get that so the tor network is this uh weird internet protocol that came out uh I don't remember exactly what year, but it was like early 2000s, yeah. mid, mid to early 2000s. I want to say like 2006, 2007. Um, it's, a, it's a weird form of internet that it's related to what we were talking about earlier with the Silk Road. Right. Um, it's where it existed. It's this protocol that essentially routes your request through a bunch of other nodes on the network to anonymize uh, requests that go through the network. And what a bunch of federal agencies did to mitigate the problem that they were having, this is how they shut down things like the Silk Road and a bunch of the other things that were going on on that. Uh, we don't need to get into what those were, but <laughs> right. lots of bad things were happening right. on there. And it's a good thing that they did what they did. Um, so how do you stop a network or how do you keep track of things going on a network where most of it's anonymous mm -hmm. because there are just so many nodes on the network? Well own most of the network. So what the feds did was just decide to start both taking control over and adding nodes to the Tor network to the point where they owned easily 50% of the network. Right. If not more. Which is actually the British model. That's how they handle telecommunications. Mm -hmm. That's why they maintain government control over there. Everyone's like, oh, they're the first free nation. No, they're not. If they want to shut down the media, they just turn it off. Exactly. Same with, with the internet. And with that much control over the network, you can kind of start to piece together the picture of where yes. requests are going. And well, I remember there, was, from. there were real problems with like, okay, with the Tor network, they had found IP and communication links to satellite networks. <laughs> There were a lot mm -hmm. of really bad things. Yeah, there were a lot of you know. horrible things happening uh, in in the network. That's just kind of what happens when you breed anonymity on yeah. the internet. Yeah, you, got um, a lot of yeah, you know, and then stuff. on top of it, it was, it, you know, as you said, the, it was the early mark of the millennial. And <laughs> they yeah, came and out like, of anonymity is important kicking, to people like to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's important. Yeah. But 
I'm also realistic, and I know that this doesn't hide very much from anybody. Right. right. From the second ever. it's on, it's on. Yeah. yeah. If you carry a phone in your pocket, you're giving information away, so there's not really a reason to try to sit there and try to be anonymous. Right. Right. Uh, on the internet. No, I tell my parents that all the time. My dad, ex-law enforcement, he's like, I'll never have an echo in the house. And I was like, you're using your iPad and your iPhone. Yeah, like, uh, like yeah. it's one thing it's to be done. anonymous within a space. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. That's possible. I cannot be anonymous to my federal government or my yeah. local government. Not that's anymore. Impossible. Yeah. yeah. Too much of what we do is integrated and that's never gonna happen. Right. Um the question you asked me. <laughs> yeah, we sorry, we went we went sideways. So we're we're inside of the four oh four. You explained why it is the four oh four. Then we talked about Oh, that's right. And then about, I started talking about Tor right. Network. So right. essentially let yeah, you take over the Tor network by controlling over fifty percent of it, right? Because uh, you need to see the information passing back and forth. That's right. Um, none of those things are really a concern with the blockchain because the blockchain uh, is entirely accessible. Mm -hmm. It is an immutable record that is kept of everything that happens from a contract performing actions, from a wallet transferring funds, where those funds are going. Now you're not getting like a name of a person right, right. at the end of those things. But with some of these new things, especially like in Ethereum, you can name your wallet. So some of them you are. Some of them have names attached to them. Right. Some of them... Uh, How fast, though, did it turns to turn into a swatting issue where you're like, yeah, I used to go to school with this idiot it's named not Neil Jacobs. Be, and <laughs> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like that, but if you're at the capacity of a federal age, like federal... Uh, uh, if you're looking at like, agency, yeah. that's the word. If you're FBI, at the capacity of a federal, if, yeah, if you're NSA. at the capacity of a federal agency, none of the all these are pretty trivial things to figure out where right things are going because you can get a lot more information from those kinds of networks than just where whose wallet this is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and along with that, you're you're looking for patterns. All of everything that we do. In security is pattern recognition. Yep. Any anywhere, whether it's physical security, IT, whether it's whatever you're doing, any kind of security is just pattern recognition. Yeah. Pattern um, recognition and isolate and alienate. Bam. Exactly. Done. Done. Exactly. And you, you can really quickly put together patterns when you start looking through the blockchain. So in terms of how is it a problem physically? No. Is it a problem economically? For a federal agency, um, I wouldn't think so because it generates and removes wealth from the economy just like a casino does. Right. In no way different. Um, it just does it at a scale that's way more grand and way more destructive <laughs> than it's a casino can. It's you use that idea of it because the whole purpose in the way that the casinos are designed nowadays, even digitally, is to keep you inside the building. And just like a casino, it's a great place to fuck, launder money. So right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is very true. So, I don't and, think any and, of these agencies really have a problem <laughs> with them being around. So, and moving on from that, though, you're talking about identifying patterns and AI. And so let's talk about the use of AI in agrarian-based applications. And some of those things are relevant to mm -hmm. what we were just talking about. So if you uh, if you look at it, some of the applications that you're moving forward just in looking at, you know, the agrarian aspects in 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 totem, 
how's AI going to assist that system? Because, you know, you're fighting, you know, the, the human empirical data set. You know what I mean? You know, well, my father told me this. I mean, his grandfather told him that. And this is how we do it. How do you, how do you, uh, you know, help AI to integrate into a system that actually says, yeah, well, actually you should be doing this, you know? Well, so it's interesting um, when it comes to agriculture and technology, um, they're already really deeply connected. Um, the problem with a lot of the agricultural systems that are in place today is that they're monoculture systems. Okay. Which are highly destructive and not actually all that great at yielding profit and yielding uh i mean they produce a lot of yield but they don't make profit is the real issue you're not getting as much profit as you can per square meter in your in your property okay so what we should break down there though is that you're talking about integrating ai so that you're maximizing quite literally every cubic inch of soil that you have yeah every square meter of soil to be maximized in profit right um should be the name of the game with that kind of thing um it's really interesting because you look at tractors nowadays. You look at most most farmers walk around with iPads. Mm-hmm. They're the most tech-enabled people you'll meet in your life. You go to a real large-scale industrial farmer, that that dude's kitted out. Like right. He's got more drones, more technology than me, than most 80% <laughs> of the people that I know. Like They're kitted out, and they are out there. Their f- tractors are insanely intelligent. Um, and integrated deeply with servers that are all around the world with w- whatever company they're Automated, using. Automated, GPS, yeah, the entire all thing. All kinds of things. Like, they're nicer than Teslas. I'd rather drive a truck. And or a tractor than a Tesla. <laughs> um, Here comes Adam. He's in his combine again. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's, it's one of those um, – it's one of those fields where – you want to start trying – you want people – these people want to do things like move away from monoculture. They want to start going to regenerative agricultural systems. But to do that at scale is expensive and hard Okay, and takes a lot of knowing and a lot of effort. Um, and sometimes it even takes terraforming. Right. Okay. Like it really depends on – what your land is, what you're trying to grow, what your locale is. Um, and a really great use of AI would be to help people make those decisions, help keep them aware of these kinds of things, help monitor things like um, soil conditions and how well right. are things growing, why did something die – because in and the other thing is in these regenerative agricultural systems, people paint it out to be a lot of work, and it is. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong; it's a lot of work. But you're not sitting there trying to figure out uh, how to keep this crop healthy. That's not the point. If the right. crop dies, you let it die because you want the grow the strongest things to grow in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so the methodology is a little different, and the work is a little different. Um, but it's about trying to utilize AI to make that transition easier and right. make that transition make sense. Okay. Um, especially in regards to 
your daily schedule, especially in regards to um, how you're going to go about deciding what needs my attention, what doesn't need my attention. Um, because instead of, and that also takes a lot of time off of the farmer, because instead of you having to go walk every square inch of your field to find out what's going on, you've got drones, you've got sensors, you've got cameras, you've got all these different systems in place. Right. They can look that at, are, at a thermal mapping helping, system and say, oh, hey, there's That the are helping you keep track of it. Exactly. Right. And then um, you can utilize those systems to go, okay, uh, look at my phone. It tells me I should go right. check out this part of the plot. Go check it out. It says this is part of the issue. Okay, well, let's check out what's going on with that. Blah, blah, blah. Fix it. Um, helps streamline and so for all of those even things. though right now for a lot of farmers they don't have that most of the most of the you know when i when i first started talking to you i bumped into that and i was like okay ooh, that sounds fascinating why is it like that and so much of what is available to them is it, it's what i call almanac indexing it's like, all right, you know, rainfall this year, estimation. This is when the first frost should be here, and this is when you should plant. This well, is what that's why we plant. have the, the farmer's almanac. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, or it's know. Monsanto telling them this yeah. is what you have to plant in this right. crop, right. in this row, and that's all you but get it's to plant. Yeah, yeah, it's rudimentary mm-hmm. information, and they're like, okay, well, they just digitized this. This is the only mm-hmm. thing that they did. What to, you know, the farmer doesn't need this. You know, they already have it. Like you said, you know, it's in this farmer's almanac, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, which is still considered to this day, based, and this is funny, based on an algorithm and statistical evaluation, yeah. still one of the most accurate things that's ever been produced by man. Exactly. But how do you go? So this takes us well in advance beyond that. We're actually looking at the idea of this and this process is like, okay, now we're actually talking about soil. Yeah, the idea is to localize this as much as possible because especially with these kinds of systems, um, the more the AI learns about your farm and gets to process your farm and gets to work your farm and work the plants in your farm, it'll learn more about what's good there, what works there. And then it can relay that information not only to you and improve your own experience, but improve the experience of others in the area that mm-hmm. are near you that might jump hop on because then they already have, they're getting to hop into a system that's had it, that local area already kind of mapped right. out. Right. It's been worked out. It's been mapped out in terms of what works, what doesn't, uh, what kind of rainfall are we getting? How does that usually move around? What kind of uh, soil conditions do we have? Is so the earth really broken rate. up underneath it? Like, yeah. The success rate has got to be much, 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 much higher then. You know, you're telling someone, okay, you're, you're, you know, you don't have to go out and buy this equipment, everything else, and then just stand around the field and hope, hope that someone's going to come here and give you generations of information mm-hmm. and knowledge. I can, you know, I'll find this, whatever. Exactly. And it also helps incentivize know. new farmers. Right. right. Just like yeah. that. Well, and it control or, you know, helps mitigate some of that loss. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, even after like the the good produce that's brought to market, um, I think it's something crazy. Like forty percent of that, by the time it hits like the consumer's fridge, 
uh, is lost. And I would assume mm-hmm. that post-COVID, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, every piece of, you know, produce or uh, anything that you can bring out of a farm that you're not, you know, utilizing 100% of, mm-hmm. just that's not that's not good for the, the, yeah. the betterment of, of mankind. No, it, it no, exactly. sounds like it would help regionally, too, because like COVID, when we were dealing with, like, we, we were dealing with... Um, you know, with uh, uh, beef shortages mm-hmm. down here. And they were like, yep. okay, well, we can solve this. We have all of these itty-bitty little collective, you know, farms locally, and we can go there for the moo cow. And that's what they did. And if you are successful and you have these smaller collective farms, you don't have to worry about going to someplace regionally that's 800 miles away, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you can expedite the process, you right. know, and so, yeah, I'm going to, you know, Johnson's farm up here that's 48 miles. I'm getting it fresh, you know, yep. and their, their model is also available. So you can say, yeah, this is what they use it. You know, we can prove that it's organic and it's the best methodology and we get the, they get the best results. So we get the best product, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. You know, and again, it's taking that legwork out of the process. Yeah. You know, when you think Probably farming, determine you think harvest time, over. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And especially because permaculture tends to be so dense. This is one of the keys to why it's such a good system as opposed to doing monoculture. Because in monoculture, you're growing a single layer of a plant over a certain area. Mm-hmm. Right. But with permaculture, you're not only growing in that same space, you're growing tiers of plants because they're all commingling and existing in the same environment. So instead of separating, I don't know, your corn from your roses and whatever, all these things are growing together because they can. They can coexist in an environment. So per square meter, you're increasing the amount of actual growth you're getting in each area right tremendously because now only you have a, a base a floor layer but you have a a grass level layer mm-hmm. you have a, a slightly higher flower layer you have a bush and trees and, and then I, you have cover right. so I'm assuming that from that you can also generate those symbiotic relationships where like yeah this supports this that's a hundred percent yeah that's so you can bring in the, the livestock right. and everything else that yeah. benefits you know whatever, and livestock whatever is super growing. important like exactly all these it's a it's a natural system and it's difficult to do at scale because you're emulating uh nature right for a while well and until and, it right. gets stabilized from, from what i know about from you know agriculture because you know we are down here and you know the it basically what we call lower alabama you know, up here in northwest florida um a lot of the the growing practices from the individuals that i met up in atmore alabama um those were passed down generationally so right. you know right. you're you're limited to what you were taught and what you may or may have learned through trials and, and error as as a farmer. A hundred percent. With technology coming into the agro, you know, the agro space, um, I think uh, that's gonna that's gonna streamline a lot of things and it's gonna help save farmers a ton of money and it's gonna just make their lives easier. It's gonna I think, make them a lot of you money know, too. A lot of people don't know this, but I think farmers have one of the highest rates of suicide. A hundred percent, you know, and it's because of how difficult their lives actually are. And we don't, we don't, we don't respect that. And they know how important their job is too. Exactly. And we forget it. You look at the situation that they're dealing with up in Canada right now. 
where the Canadian elite has forgotten entirely where it is that they get their food from. So it's like, okay, well, we don't like the way that the farmers are doing their jobs. Well, too many, too many petroleums. We got problems with the way that they farm. We got problems with their usage of diesel. So we're going to tax them to death to well, prevent them from doing what it is that they're doing. And the same thing happened, or is it, you know, currently happening in France. And there's actually mm -hmm. an uprising of farmers, you know, fighting the government. Because, you know, and, and that's the worst, you know, recipe yeah. for disaster, in my opinion, is when you've got the government going after the food source and, you know, yeah. just making it well, that much it, more difficult. You know, and this is another well, logical. Yeah, it, 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 it makes is. no sense. Exactly. Well, yeah. and so much we've talked about this that jokingly, Ralph and I have. We don't know if we're sitting in an alternative timeline where we actually, you know, you know, Bernstein yeah, somebody, yeah, yeah, where we're Mandela affecting it. There's and, a snake in my yeah, you know, and we don't know if you know the timeline jumped the shark, Fonzie style, or what happened. Something but happened. all of a sudden, nothing. There are things that are occurring that are so far outside of the realm of critical thinking or even common sense. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. You look at it and you're like, okay, okay, you're taxing your farmers in Canada, which next to the United States grain belt area has the largest swath of growing area or the second largest swath of growing area in the entire world. And you're hammering them. They're going out of business. They're losing their farms, and you're not farming after them. It's not like you're buying up the farm. <laughs> yeah, style. you're not doing the work after. You're yeah. just killing your food chain. <clears throat> and they're, right. it's funny Moving because on. I listen to the people doing the interviews, you know, because even when we reach out, Tucker Carlson, et cetera, and, you know, even on CNN, they're reaching out to the farmers up there going, what is going on? And they can't explain it. They're like, yeah, we don't understand why they're attacking us like this because they – they have to understand that this is where they get their food. Well, There's not going to be any you know, food here soon. Yeah, you that, know? that's when you bust out the tinfoil hat and you say, okay, you know, they, yeah. they have to know better. Mm -hmm. You know, or is it an idiocracy situation where we've forgotten and we're trying yeah. to grow, you know, trying to grow crops with Mountain Dew? <laughs> idiocracy is entirely possible. Uh, no, is. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, where are we? Are we in this like crazy conspiratory section where like you know, it is the government? <laughs> they do know what they're doing or or have we yeah. just forgotten? Yeah, or they're entirely where, or they're just that dumb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, just, just, just be that dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah, and it's, we used it's to be very like, possible. no, they couldn't be that stupid. That was the statement, yeah. right? So you had there's no way. Had to be, <laughs> no, yeah, it's my government. No, there's no way. way. Exactly. They do this, and then you yeah, get older, then, and you're like, wait, yeah, yeah you're <laughs> like, looking at maybe, it, going, oh, there's just crap. They're, 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 <laughs> Have they been the whole time? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been that the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> there were the IQs just dropping or plummeting here, or is it the half Earth model? Mm -hmm. They're just going at it because eventually what they want is what we have, you know, what's been talked about a lot or, you know, also what they refer to as the, you know, integrated with the blue sky model, mm -hmm. you know, the blue sky project where it's like, yeah, we're going to initiate a fake war. We're going to initiate these horrible things. We're going to cut resources like food, like energy so that we can depopulate the world by half. And then what's left will come directly to us for everything that they need. And I know this is tinfoil hat material, but you... Well, I mean, eugenicists exist. Yeah. They're, they're real people. Yeah. yeah. 100%. You know, so you have to ask yourself, okay, when you look at this and you talk about that, this is one of the things that can be utilized to combat that. Because then you're also talking about smaller areas and smaller farms that are utilizing this technology that, that you're talking about, you know, coming up with. And it's like, okay, there's a reason for this. 
and your success rate goes through the roof. And ultimately, when you're talking about, you know, we got solves for this, we've got solves for that, we've got nanotechnology, and we're talking about going to Mars, and we're learning more and more about the the oceans that, you know, we continue to pollute, even though we know more about the moon than the oceans that we continue to pollute. And oh, by the way, while we're learning to fight cancer, right now, uh, leukemia, adult leukemia is survivable at 93%. We've got medications that are coming out in the next year approved by the FBDA that are looking at knocking cancer back by over 50%. Almost any type of cancer you get. We're beating these things, and yet we can't feed ourselves. Where's yep. the discord there, yeah. man? You can't. You're like, all right, you're this smart. No, we're trying to get to Mars. Yeah. It's, we have you know, goals here. Well, we just can't feed ourselves when we get there. Let's, well, let's hope there's a Taco it, Bell there. You know, and it's, it's. <laughs> I think uh, it's, we, we've, we've, we're coming to this mentality where, you know, we think that uh, someone's going to be there to save us, whether it's the government, mm -hmm. which I think we've all kind of come to the term, <laughs> or come to terms with the fact that, you know, our government's stupider than we originally well, thought. Well, most of our government's like 70, 80 years old, right. and they all look at the younger generation going, well, I'm going to die, so but then at the this same is your time, problem. We've got, we've got people out there like Elon Musk who are doing, you know, incredible things with space travel and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at the same time, We've got billionaires going out and buying things like uh, news media outlets, like the New York Times and the LA Times, for billions of dollars. Or buying Twitter for billions of dollars, and like they're putting the money into the wrong thing. Right. And yeah, or buying a yacht that they have to get a whole right. bridge removed to get it yeah. out of the city. Or you've got a, yeah. you've got an individual like Bill Gates who's going out and buying up all the farmland for yep. the water rights, and who probably has some devious plan behind it. Yeah, you know, who's also trying to make us eat bugs. Just mm -hmm. you know, noted. Um, <laughs> He's like, no, those mosquitoes that we're killing, we're yeah. gonna eat them. And well, meanwhile, those what they call them? Uh, we had a we had a show about oh, that. Yeah, Mos we, mosquito burgers. Yeah, mosquito there's burgers. actually <laughs> in, in Africa, and they call them something else, but it's uh, it's slightly bigger than a mosquito. But you can actually make patties out of these bug these. I bet they're delicious. I bet they're delicious. They're I bet they're really good. Yeah, they're I want mine crunchy. Burgers. That was some right. beans. Oh, black bean, black no. bean, and bug burger. Yeah. I told them they need to they need to concentrate on the tsetse fly in Africa and. You know, they get rid of the possibility of rudipress disease, which is a, a bovine disease. But it's true, mm -hmm. and yet we see we see this happening. Three months ago, we hear the first rumblings quietly of the fact that all right, we're looking at the wage increase in California. It occurs, but then we're looking at the possibility of another one occurring. And Ralph and I start talking about it. And we look at it and we're like, yeah, they're going to hit another one. But watch, it's just going to be within the confines of the industry. Sure enough, no sooner did we say it than California passes the legislation in relation to the food workers now making $20 an hour. And they're supposed to receive another wage increase in April, right? Mm -hmm. When they said that, Ralph and I are like, all right. McDonald's is coming out and said that they may have to make certain adjustments, which may include, you know, include price increases, but it'll be regional, i.e. the state of California, the entire franchise will not have to share this burden. Ralph well, and I called BS on yeah. that instantly. We're <laughs> like, no, they're no, going to raise all of Well, no, what they've done, yeah. they, we actually found an $18 Big Mac meal in Chicago. It's just the basic combo. 
Right. So, Your sausage egg McMuffin with yeah, hash for brown. a medium. We're not even talking yeah. about supersizing oh that bad boy. Yeah, don't supersize. Yeah. You go don't for breakfast me. like I do. <laughs> I get I get my I Dude. get my sausage egg McMuffin combo, right? So I get it and they you know, take the egg. Now I don't want orange juice. Give me a coffee. Sometimes I'll get a diet coke with it, right? I need a shot of aspartame to, you know, put more holes <laughs> in my head in the morning. So I'll get Just my what you need. Yeah, I get my stuff and I get my fix and now, that used to, I, you could walk in and out with with that combo and not spend a fiver. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. now up in Chicago again, and either their test bed, it, we, we've we've talked about it, we spitballed how this is occurring because you know nothing happens within the confines of the franchise without corporate saying okay. So exactly, you know, but this has happened in like the 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 uh, sausage egg McMuffin with the hash brown. Twelve fifty six now. Jesus. Okay, now, and if you want to add on a another hash brown, that's five ninety six. So it breaks the model of order another one cheaper, right? You know, and then you can have more for less. That whole thing, and they're like, nay, nay. You're gonna have, have no less, more money. More yeah, money. You're gonna have less <laughs> more money. More. Please. Well, guess yeah. what? We got McDonald's at home. Yeah. So <laughs> the the other thing, and what's funny is like 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 Cam's, uh, my significant other, she'll make us like <laughs> breakfast muffins all the time. It tastes, and they are delicious. They, it tastes like a sausage game muffin. But what was interesting also is that in the when we find the articles that are talking about this, McDonald's keeps saying the same thing, which. And it was the way they said it that spooked me. We talk about AI and inflection and everything else. Sometimes you don't need to go there for weird. You can just go to the human elements that are out there talking and go, dude, what what is going on here? And this was one of them where McDonald's was like, yeah, the one group of people that we're most concerned about managing our our." you know, our menu price increases is the poor because and what they were literally saying is because McDonald's feeds the poor. And it was the way they said it. It was like it was a, it was a oh, blanket, noble. hardcore. How stem. noble of you, McDonald's! <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. We and, feed the poor for yeah. five dollars at a time, and now you can't very much or eighteen dollars at a time. Well, think yeah, about that. That. So you're dealing, you're dealing with with that. You're you're low income family. You're in an economically depressed area. You used to be able to go to McDonald's and feed your entire family of you and your three kids for thirty five bucks, maybe. Yeah, you can't get out of McDonald's now without spending a hundred dollars. Well, the value menu town. was a dollar. Yeah, yes. Well, it was the dollar menu first. Yeah. Then and it became the value, the menu. value yeah. menu because they had to yeah rebrand. Yeah. you know, because now it's three oh, yeah. to five dollars depending on you know maybe we'll slip a little seven in there. Well, you know? so there was a conference not too long ago. I forgot the name of it. Oh, it's the uh, IRC conference. Yeah, the IRC yeah. conference where basically like all the big wigs from all the QSR restaurants and the restaurant industry all get together and they start talking about uh, you know the way the industry is going to pivot itself you know into the next year. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Mike, I have been there for this. Mike and I, you know, we talked about, you know, when, uh, when the legislation passed in California about raising the minimum wage to $20, we were like, oh, well, okay. Well, how, you know, we know how they're going to fight this. And they're going to fight it with robotics. Yeah. And so we, you know, we were just talking about this on the last two episodes that we've had. Right. Uh, you know, with all of the, uh, you know, human robot collaboration that we're going to start seeing, which was a terminology that came from a company called Anai. That has a uh, like an actual robotic uh, burger maker 
Mm. Or uh, like a patty cooker, mm-hmm. if you but will. But it's awesome because it's not, yeah, it's, there's no trackage or armature. So it's a contained unit, which is one of the first we had seen. Oh, like so it. it's kind of like those Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah or the Krispy yeah. Kreme <laughs> conveyor, but it's yeah. all condensed in a box. Right? That makes sense. Yeah. Well, this is actually the size of a grill. Yeah. So, I mean, it's completely. It's great, though. You yeah. know, I like Yeah, it. that's interesting. Yeah. But the question is will they be able to modify it to cook mosquito burgers? Well, no, no, the, the funny yeah. thing is, is, is that <laughs> Easy. at the conference, at the conference, and this was the other thing that we said, we, we got our Oodalali fortune teller hat on here from Robin Head. <laughs> Fortune's told, get your lucky forecast. We said in, a, in our, our, our tempestuous profit moment that they were going to utilize this instant to price all competition out of the market. This is where they like, all right, we're going to double down. We're going to spend. We're going to figure out robotics. We're going to figure out AI. We're going to figure out this integration. We're going to get rid of these knuckleheads costing us 20 bucks an hour, whom, by the way, we both support because this is about inflation indexing and what didn't happen in the 1950s and onward. But we'll set that aside. This is a situation where they're going to win. So the, the, the CEO of McDonald's, who's at the IRC, says... At that, he goes through, he's like, yeah, you know, McDonald's is looking at this to mitigate the problem. McDonald's is looking at this and we'll try and get, you know, through this. We want to make sure that we don't pass any of this on to the customer itself. And then in a deep, dark breath, he says, however, we do believe that this gives us the opportunity to price out some of the competition. Basically, they're just going to throw money at it and they're going to watch everyone else flounder. Right. They're just like, yeah, you can't spend with us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is the Reagan Soviet answer, so which is awesome. By we're the way. predicting that in you know, in probably you know sooner rather than later, <laughs> um, point of sale payment processing companies, big ones like Shifor, Toast, Spot On, they're going to wind up buying robotics companies to make their pieces of robotics you know exclusive to their point of sale technology. Oh, so that and that, because that's because it's integrated now. with the order. That's yes. right. Right. And so if and this is how they control everything now. They're like, all right, you want to use this nice terminal here. You want to use this over here. Then you have to go with our payment processing. Yeah, you got to use this card reader. You got to use right. this. Oh yeah. yeah and all right. the money goes right. to us. So now on top of that, if you want to keep up with automation, robotics, and everything else, we're going to sell you this kitchen slash POS suite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And payment processing attached to it. So one of the things that we're completely on board with now is chaos, 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 anarchy, 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 agnostic, agnostic, agnostic. We got to sound the bell. And one of the ways that we do that is maybe even generating, oh, I don't know, say hypothetically a POS system that allows us to have even greater agnostic control over it. Because there, we've also come to the point where we're like, okay, there's going to be two two venerable positions here. There's going to be those restaurants and those people that are sticking to the agnostic side of things, probably eventually even to their own detriment. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be those people that sign their lives away and all of the legislation is repealed. You're not paying 3.9% anymore. You're paying 5 6% on everything. And you're barely able to keep your head above water because Mm -hmm. the other thing that we've seen is that like McDonald's or something of that ilk, they're the only people that will be able to survive. 
the, that everyone else will have to sit there and say, oh, yeah, you know, we had a restaurant, but we couldn't pay our credit card processing fees. Yeah. Those companies have no problem putting you out of business while they just make money. Yeah. You know, and so it's one of the elements that we've talked about, you know, and, and the fact and we find it interesting that the burgernomics aspect of it is relevant now. But it's going to have to do with what we've been talking about all day here today about AI integration, how because the forecasting models that are already being utilized by these companies and what the what did the, the, the CEO of McDonald's, their 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 future. They had a word for it. Uh, it just in relation to their future positioning for the company. I think it was very close to that. Actually, that's all going to be based on AI generated models. Yeah, you know, this is where you should go. This is what you should do. And the other thing that I know you've read about, and I know you and I have talked about on numerous occasions, is the fact that when you look at AI gaming models, AI against AI there is never a happy ending. There's never any altruism. It is always a either a, a outright violent action by which conquer, take resources, have, you know, and I win. Mm-hmm. Or it's lie, cajole, obfuscate, have them do for me until I've weakened them enough to just take them over. Mm-hmm. Everyone has ended like that. And so the models that are going to be driving these forecasting aspects are all probably going to be saying the same thing. Spend them out, harass them, harry them, grab the technology, own it, drive them out of business. There's yeah. not going to be any cooperative tactic there at all. That's the fun is we'll see. Because <laughs> computers always end up surprising me. Um, it's... It's interesting because it's one of those it's one of those problems where it's a uh, the box has already been opened. We can't put it back. And genius <laughs> out of the bottle. You can't put AI back in the box. Right. Yeah. Um but companies like McDonald's make choices uh that have nothing to do with what people think they have to do with. Right. It's very, like I, very my true. first fact I always like to tell people is McDonald's is not a food company. If you think their main business is selling food, you're wrong. Their number one industry is real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're a real estate company first. When you buy a franchise, most of the time you don't own that building. Oh no. You're leasing it. No, you never own the property. Along with leasing the franchise. And well, then, you're not you're not told where you can put it. Then you you're have to told buy, where you have to, to buy put all your products exactly. from their commissary. You have right. to do all of your payment processing through who they mandate. They're using their builders. You're doing when you're you using build the their, <laughs> they, they, have, they have their own point of sale company. So you're paying McDonald's for all the software uh, SaaS fees. Yeah, you know, they're they're like they've taken double dipping to a whole oh, new an extreme. Oh yeah. yeah because then like what they've also started doing, and this actually happened, we were talking about this on the last episode, uh, they were a data collection company for a long time, too. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were they, like they were selling all, you know, the data that they were collecting, you know, and probably creating their own AI. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's no telling what, what McDonald's has behind closed doors that we don't know about yet. Well, what's even yeah. scarier is they've, in terms they've, of technology. They they don't want dissent either with right. what you're being told, et cetera. So now they've come up with the robo-spouse process where they actually replace your loved one with a robot. <laughs> that just says McDonald's and whispers it in your ear, just like Claudius to Caesar. <laughs> remember, thou art mortal, and uh, you know all they do now is remember McDonald's only you. McDonald's, the golden, yeah. golden <laughs> French fries. It's one of. It's, <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. It's so it's one of those things where like a uh, big industry like that 
is already uh people are scared of ai that makes sense the ai is not the problem it's, it's the people, people that run the computer guns don't kill people. People, people people kill people ai exactly. does not kill people yeah. people the kill idiot people. programming now uh, who's to say you can't give AI some kind of insane access where it can do all kinds of crazy things? Yeah, but it's not going to make those decisions without the right motivation. Right, without being told. Good, exactly. Bad. Right. Well, and it's interesting that you know, uh, a magazine uh, uh, that I subscribe to is Wired, right? Mm -hmm. And on their third to last cover, I've got to renew my subscription, actually. My third to last cover that I received was Dear AI Overlords, please don't <laughs> F this up. And it's true, though. And one of the things that we have to stop, though, is while I agree it has so much to do with what it's being told to do, I believe two things have occurred now that really actually scare me. Someone that knows AI, someone that knows technology. Number one, the Isaac Asimov gloves are off. The three rules of robotics are already yeah. out the window. They're done. We don't have them. We are not going to have those control factors. Right. Why? Because even if you read Isomov, what it teaches you is that eventually the logic center of the robotic mind that becomes sentient and conscious is dealing in percentages. Yeah. Percentages of the three rules. So that means that there's wiggle room. And if there's wiggle room, you got a problem. The other thing that I firmly believe is that the science is bad right now. And because of that, there is too much we uh, of, oh, yeah, we asked it to do this thing. <laughs> and it didn't do it, man. It was the craziest thing. And then it did this other thing over here, which worked better than we thought it was going to work. Blew our minds, man, because we don't know how it came to that conclusion. We can't understand it because we don't know how the, the machine mind works. We don't. We have no clue as to how it comes to these decisions. And until... Yeah, it's like making a slime mold. Yeah. Watching a slime mold. That's right. In relation to the subway in Tokyo. Right. So you create the slime mold and you're like, all right, you know, are we looking at actual cellular intelligence? And this worked, and we remapped the entire Tokyo subway process using the slime mold experiment. Or is it not nah, just what well, we got lucky? But mm -hmm. without understanding the process, because we don't understand the cellular intelligence process, do we? We don't really know why that happened. We just know that it's there. We know that it's really good at being efficient. Yeah. That's it. Stunningly. Why? No what idea. logic it has behind that? Yeah. No, no, really. no idea. See, that's just it. You say the word logic, and it's like, okay, logic is something that we we refer to from a piece of nomenclature that says it is imbued with the capacity for reason. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's figuring this out some other way. It's not reasoning the best. It's efforting it through a biological process that we don't understand. Is it innate? Maybe. Well, for it to you know, get... Well, it's funny. It's people. A lot of people don't know how they work, how they're actually made. So it's you make this machine that has a series of rules that it lives by, right? Um, and those rules, people like to do. It rewards it and it punishes it. But I think you should only ever reward it. Um, um, so through mechanisms like reward uh, and incentives, you get the robot to perceive and analyze certain things in a way that you have specified. Um, 
Now, the thing about AI is it develops on itself. So you give it a base task, essentially, and then you train it on iterations of that task. So and it what performs should, that yeah. task millions of times. And so what should be important here is that this is opposite of what people think. This is not learning AI. You would assume that that would be the name given to it. This is actually general AI, mm -hmm. where it can learn from itself and rebuild another iteration and learn more. So, yeah. okay. And this is what most artificial intelligence you're using is doing, chat GPT, things like this. It's <laughs> yeah. learning from the information you give it. It's building on the feedback that you right. provide. That's why you can say this prompt was good. This prompt was bad. I like this response. I don't like this response. It wasn't helpful. Because when you're doing that, you're providing the robot context. And it's learning who, what, when, where, why, and how. And it's starting to understand um, what a good answer is, what a bad answer is. It mm -hmm. develops on itself. Um, so let's say, for example, an AI that walks. It just controls some little character in a game and it walks, right? Um, when you first load it, it's going to just stumble, fall down. Yeah. It's just going to flop. You got to like teach that. it to get up. Yeah. Right. Well, well, and you don't really teach it. Um, you reinforce it. Right. So the moment it does something good in the, in the steps of walking, you go, oh, that was great. Do more of that. And it goes, next time it goes, oh, okay. It does a little more. It gets a little more reward. Mm -hmm. You do it again. It gets a little more reward. And then slowly, as you reward the patterns of a successful task being completed, it'll get better and better at it. So most of the things you're using are models that have been trained extensively before you ever touch it. So before you touch it, somebody has played with it and taught it things over and over and over and over, millions of times. That was the times. first model, yeah. You millions, had to do that. Millions of times where they went, that was a good response, that was a bad response, that was useful, that was bad. Mm -hmm. And it learns, okay, this is a good, this is a bad, this is a good, this is a bad. And that's unique to that model. You could take that exact same code and give it the exact same data set and run them again, and it may not train it's almost guaranteed to not train exactly the same as the previous model. It's a chimeric event. Yeah, right. because it's a very unique, individualized event. Of course, you can do things to push it in a direction where it's more similar mm -hmm. to the, that other one, but right. it's like you and I's brains. It's right. a neural network. Well, it's a network. Yeah. We're going to learn differently. It exactly. created yeah. problems too, because then how do you parse that information? How right. do you allow communal reproduction again and again and again and again? And the point was, well, you can't really, you know, mm -hmm. you can, you can trickle down, but even then, if you're, if you trickle down to a learning system, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, all these things are be. all these things are iterative. Yeah. It's all an iterative process. It iterates on its last attempts. Mm -hmm. And that's how all of these systems work right now, right. is they're all iterations of a previous attempt. Um things like Chat GPT are obviously that was I should clarify, a very basic AI. The is original, what I just described yeah. to you. Mm -hmm. I described to you a very basic general AI. 
Um, and when you're looking at things like chat GPT, those are much more complex, deep, right. deep, deep, wide nets. Because they've actually started letting them out. And that was, it's funny, we were talking about this. That was one of the first rules where like, they can't, they can't do this. They can't do that. You know, and I'm not, you know, just, oh, Terminator, et cetera. But the simple fact of the matter is I don't see this. The scientific methodology has been wasted. It's not very good. And so now they're allowing these things open access to things like the Internet. It's like, all right, here's all of the information in the world you can want. Now, granted, it has to be learning specific. You can't yeah. take you can't take a language AI and say, okay, we're going to allow you access to, you know, every military encyclopedia in the world. It doesn't equate. It doesn't know what to do with the information. It has, it has systems in place to prevent that kind of thing from happening. Well, mm-hmm. what's funny is they're breaking, and this is one of the problems, they're breaking those rules and they don't know how Oh, 100%. Happening. And that's one of the- It's all through intelligent prompting. Yeah, right. and it's through the security values where they're like, one of the problems that we're finding is that AI programs that develop AI programs are less secure. Uh-huh. They don't know how to secure because them, they don't so. know. Yeah, they don't right. know the security. You right. know, and so I think that's that's fascinating as well. You know, in, in relation to that, you know, and the problem is, is that we're going to, and and I think that you said it. That's the most important thing right now is the, it's out of the box, man. Yeah, and we were talking about this. You know, the technology that's out of the box. We were looking at it, saying, "Oh yeah, maybe we got." First, it was ten years. Then it was five years, and now it's like, "Yeah, no, this is happening now." now. Yeah, yeah, we're in it now. Well, and exactly the problem you described is the reason why I think everybody being scared of AI taking their jobs is kind of. <laughs> Irrelevant. So we were going to ask you about this because the first numbers that not even the first quarter numbers, the first monthly norm numbers came in just for the technical industry, just for the tech industry, 30,000, uh, 32,000 jobs lost in the first month of 2024. What would you attribute to that true? Because, I mean, everything is tech right now. Are Those are jobs com- that never should have existed in the first place. I was going to ask you. So yeah. are, are they right. they filing back? Finally, Google's like, yeah, we didn't need the yogurt making guy. You well, know? that's the thing. So a lot of these jobs are, uh, especially the the main thing that is the problem with to me about modern work society is we don't value um, an individual's creativity enough, and our modern work systems like to grind people down through remedial tasks right? that are so remedial that you could write not even an intelligent program. It doesn't have to be AI enabled. It's programmable logic. It could just be a program program. that performs that function through a robot. Um, So a lot of these jobs that get replaced, like I feel bad that people have lost their jobs yes but that also means that now we need to create new jobs new new job new markets. jobs that are right. make sense that are applicable right because now we can deal with all these remedial tasks so instead of firing all those people pick the ones that are inclined with engineering and teach them how to be engineers better teach them how engineers and teach them how to be yeah exactly teach them how to be engineers on your new systems that you're integrating oh it's funny Teach them how to do the technical work on your new systems that you're integrating and you're internalizing as well and what's funny is that when you talk about engineers engineering is that odd school of thought that is 
most people that are engineers do not growing grow up saying I'm going to build bridges or I'm going to do this as a point of fact they usually find it while they're under another ed- educational discipline mm-hmm. and then they take you know a confab course or something and they're like oh this is there's beauty it's in this. Cool. There's, yeah. Right. And then once they find it like that, oh my lord, they're impossible to deal with because then it's all engineering. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's it's wonderful to see. I have a friend that's a mechanical engineer, and that's how he found it. And then his whole life, he got as weird as he could get. You know, his 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 screen name was Crazy Flamingo. We called him that for a reason. And but he's an engineer, you know, and he was the guy that was failing out of school when he went into his his you know community college mm-hmm. then he found engineering and boom everyone's like dude this guy is programming smart, is really man. similar to me in that I've had, I've had so many people even my brother just the other day asked me um like bro how do you get into programming what is programming I want to do it I don't think I'm smart enough to do it and I go no that has nothing to do with it right programming isn't about Doing being a coder, a developer, a programmer, a hardware engineer, none of those things are about uh, a specific form of intelligence or a specific level of intelligence. It's about this is at least in my few years of doing it and the people that I've talked to, this is how I've broken it down. And apparently everybody likes this analogy. So it's a cross between math, science, language. English specifically, and philosophy. You need to know those four things. And if you know how to do those four things, you can program anything you want to make. You can make anything. Because you need the math to be able to do the actual functional work on mathematically what's happening in a program. Then you need the scientific understanding and knowledge to be able to apply that data, that math that you receive into some kind of formula, algorithm, framework, right? You need the philosophy. We're going to skip the the third one where you need the philosophy to know how you want to apply that science, that math. Okay. Right. Um, into an idea, a framework. You have to be able to create that framework that's very philosophical, right. making those kinds of things. And then you need the English to literally write it down because so much of programming, and this is one of the faults that I think is with programming, it's not multilingual enough. It's all very English. <laughs> English-based, right. right. Which comes down to, and, uh, you know, there are two sides of that that coin. You know, they would say, okay, well, the majority of mo- programmers originally were programming in this language and therefore it's the root dialect. You know, that's what a linguist would say, you know, but on the other end of the It's spectrum, like dolphins and whales. Yeah. Common language, English, done. Moving yeah. on, we yeah, don't exactly. have to think about it anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it's like Einstein having the same suit, you know, seven of them. You know, I exactly. don't have to waste thought on that. But on the other end of the spectrum, you're right. If, if there's a hiccup to that barrier and you're like, okay, I speak. Uh, Mandarin or Portuguese or, you know, a Slavic, you know, and I can't get there, but I have this mind that can do this. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I could do it if it was in Russian, but I don't, you're, you're missing that resource. Yeah. And then there are people that, that do the God's work of translating these things or actually just creating whole new libraries. So like, 
If you're a Chinese programmer, there's plenty of repositories for you in Chinese. If you're a Japanese programmer, there's plenty of repositories for you in Japanese. And Same that's scribe work. That really is. That's just someone yeah, yeah, saying this equals this, this equals, and that's hard work. And it, like you said, that's redundant work. Exactly. You know, it's remedial in a way because it's like, okay, it's just a language skill. This means this, and this means this, and this means this. You know, but that, and what's funny is that we haven't, you know, and maybe we have. I would assume that that would be one of the first places technologically you'd want to automate, you know, so, and to, to ensure. Say, look, we're going to take this and we're going to make sure, because you know, as well as we've learned, interpretation is also based on the nomenclature of the science that you're dealing in. You can't be truly interpretive if you don't know tech and that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You have to know that nomenclature. You have to. And so, you know, you build the AI and it understands tech and boom, you're just like, all right, hit the button, Max, and boosh, the frog, you know, Pepe spits out, you know, all of your tech in, you know, in Chinese. You're like, awesome! You know, but... It's funny that because we 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 look to it and inside of your wheelhouse and your understanding, you explain that well, and yet there had to have been that internal thing that that switch, pick, and you're like, I get this. Yeah, I get hundred percent for the first because again, Java card. Was the first thing I ever learned. Right. I hate my life. It's horrible. <laughs> I hate Java Car. Uh, so my first programming language I ever did, I had to write everything in bytes and shorts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what those were when I was doing it. Much less did I know what what an integer was. What was what's a return function? What's an error? What what are these? What are these things? But you're going, and I assume that one of the reasons why you could continue to do it is you didn't. There was no stopping function. It was like, oh my god! And you just like you stop and you walk away, and you, you were like, yeah, right, I walked I, away, and I also had very good fundamentals. Okay. All those four fundamentals, I had a very good grip of them. Okay, when I went to start learning, I was good at math. I was good at science. I had a really good command of the English language, and I was always super, and I still am super philosophical. I try to think a lot about things from as many perspectives as I can. Multiple discipline. I try to be unbiased. I'm obviously not. I'm a creature. I'm a human. I'm biased. But That's part of what that is, though, in philosophy is understanding and identifying and recognizing the biases. It Mm. is. There was a point in time where even, I think it was back in 2016, 2017, they, they did a survey of the degrees that were most commonly held by the Fortune 500 CEOs, CTOs, and senior executives. 75% of them held degrees in philosophy. It's what my degree was in. Mm -hmm. So, and it's about being multidisciplined. You have to be able to speak in a multitude of scientific disciplines so that you can actually start to orient yourself towards the truth. Yeah. If you can't, then you're going to miss something, you know? And like for me, mathematics, I understand the, the, the equation and I understand the premise. The number factor for me is very, very, very difficult. So I have to pay really close attention when I'm talking about that because I don't get it easily. Mm-hmm. You know, but on the other end of the spectrum, the science and the language and the philosophy standpoint, I get very, very, it's like bat your eyes simple. But ultimately, you were able to put all those four together and you're like, oh, I'm coding. 
you know and yeah i started i started to kind of get the idea behind it um and it's weird because it's like learning a a new language but it's not that complicated because it's still mostly english um but in terms of things like philosophy are uh really generalized term i guess but it's a uh, it's just being able to really take a new approach to something because when you're programming i always like to give this example if somebody if you give 50 programmers the same task all 50 of them will make a product that does the exact same thing at the end of the day down to the how it's presented but all 50 of them are going to write them differently. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 50 entirely different pieces of code. So it's intuitive that handle and problems, personalized. That handles problems differently. Right. Which is why it's a philosophical thing. Because right. it's really about how do you solve problems? That's how do you, how are you going to solve this problem that you've presented yourself with or been presented um, but it's almost as if you are seeking a truth to that answer because that truth is very personal. So you are going to write accordingly, and everybody's truth can be different. Even so, though they achieve the same result. Right. They're all measuring to a right. platonic state. They want to find the platonic state. This is what the perfect aspect of this looks like, but you're all going to get there differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes sense. Some people might have better optimizations in other places. Some right. people might handle things a little more elegantly. Some people might like handling it in a very complex way for whatever reason. That's just how they prefer and I guess that to go about it. Could kind of be like your mark, like we were talking about before with the Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could go back and you could see, you know, everything that was ever programmed by that that, that individual. And there are going to be similarities to certain things like in the coding, you know. Yeah. That's why I love like fighting games. Right. Uh fighting games are uh, my favorite's Melee, Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube, because there's this. <laughs> there's I'm this, that with my sons. It, yeah. it, there's this intuitiveness <laughs> when you watch professionals, especially play. There's a style. Of oh yeah. Flair. I don't yeah. have to see their names. You know, right, who's but playing. I know who's playing because right. there's a distinctiveness to. However, there's a signature behind right. it. Right. Um, that can happen with writing styles as well in coding, even some things as simple as spacing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, So it really boils down to me for like um, these kinds of things shouldn't be scary to people because getting into these things is just a matter of reorganizing what work is to you. You know what I mean? Just because you're losing your remedial task job. Don't be sad. That's good. Yeah. Because now it's it sucks for a while. I'm not going to lie. It sucks. You've lost a job. Yes, that sucks. Enough people that happens to, the industries have to do something about it mm-hmm. because they can't just leave all these people unemployed. Well, no, or some of those individuals will go off that's and, right. and they'll create their own industry. And they create their own industry. Yeah. They create their own problems right. for these companies. Um. You were saying something earlier about chaos and disruption. Right, anarchy. Which is pretty fun because there's a new there's a term that I've heard in the last two years called uh disruptioneering. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've... I love this term because it's a great example of what people can do and have decided to do from the effects of things like job loss because of AI right. and things right. like that. People have gotten really creative and create these insane new concepts or brands or markets that just absolutely shatter everything that people thought was possible mm -hmm. because they have no choice. They're kind of desperate and they need a way out and they need something to do. So they come up with these really creative, disruptive technologies that just smack everything in front of them. Um, and I think that's important, and I it think is. that's great, and I think it's a great buy, uh, a, a great effect right. of these kinds of things. Um, it would be interesting to see at the end of this year, like what new industries in tech do pop up, you know, and and to weigh that with the the amount of job loss that we saw at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. you know. In the disenfranchisement, of and because the these individual. are really talented right. people, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. all these, all these, all these people that lose their jobs are extremely talented mm -hmm. and no, very we, capable. We've got a, a guy coming on next week who is a cybersecurity expert that worked for Navy Fed for a while, mm -hmm. and uh, they downsized. He was part of that. Luckily, he had some other avenues of income, and uh, now he's back working at George George's Bistro. Yeah, you know, intelligent individual, but you know, he got. You know, kind of pissed off, if you will, with uh, you know, with what happened to him at Navy Fed, um, and uh, yeah, no, I think that happens to. No, to of a lot course, because job security is not a real concept anymore. <laughs> right. No, and yeah, and it's a two-layer. It doesn't even and, exist for the CEOs. Yeah, it's a yeah. two-edged sword. CEOs are just as replaceable as anybody oh, else nowadays. Oh, they got nowadays a shelf life of like right. four years max. The only problem yeah. is, is that for the CEO, they're still afforded the golden parachute. Where you have people that are losing jobs that whose money is worth less yeah. and less and buys them fewer and fewer. Right. Yeah, you get fired from as the CEO, you have shares. Oh yeah, in the you've company. Got, right. Yeah, you're gonna be given the gold. Yeah, you get a severance share. package that you know, the whole nine yards. But um, I agree that you're looking at the individuals that, you know, you, you you can't do what you were doing when Silicon Valley went through its first downsizing, right? No, Back at, it's so different. Yeah, and we can't it was, do what, what happened in Steve Jobs' days. Yeah, right. and they did that a couple of times, and it was it really devastating to a lot of people in Silicon Valley. And and there was one man who downsized. He had immigrated here from China. You know, basically came over on the boat quite literally, managed to find his educational prowess, ended up being in the computer science industry, and then he was part of that first series of downsizings. So I went home, and he was trying to communicate with his family back in China. And, of course, we know that China has what's referred to as, even in the cyberspace as the Great Wall or Golden Wall. And this is the, you know, the cybersecurity infrastructure they used to basically run an entire country. And he was the first person because he took that time. He took the educational. He was like, I need to talk to my family in China to let them know I'm okay, et cetera. And he's literally doing all the work in his garage because it was the coolest place in the house because he couldn't pay the power bills for the house. Mm. So, you know, it, and it keep all the lights on and everything else. So it's like, I'm going to minimize my power usage. I'll do everything in the garage. So he manages to code his way through the great wall. And eventually, obviously the three acronym, you know, entities here in the United States found out about it. And, but they're like, fantastic job. We've been bouncing up against this thing forever and we can't get through it. 
you know, we have a really hard time getting through it. And this guy had quietly taken the time and it was actually through through cellular data that he mm -hmm. managed to get through it. And they, was, they were like, all right. But it, again, it's somebody that was educated for one thing, doing one thing, and then boom, because of the fact that they lost their job, they had to do another thing. Well, it's there's a there's a term or not a term, I guess a, a phrase that I that I've heard. And you know, people ask, well, you know, how did how did that happen? How did you how did you make that happen? And uh, and you know, the guy's answer was, well, I, I didn't have a choice. Yeah, you know, it's just like I had to make this happen, so I did. And as long as as long and th this is what it'll be interesting to see in relation to the eighteen dollar Big Mac, in relation to an entire industry that's going down. It'll be interesting to see what it does to Burgernomics. Well, and it, the Big Mac, it, you know, just you <laughs> know, Burgernomics are screwed. You know, but <laughs> what about McDonald's ability to feed the poor, Mister Twist? You know, Oliver, more please. You know, all of these things, though, it becomes relative. And one of the places, and it's going to be interesting because. You know, I, I was talking with a friend of mine that lives up in Alaska. He's an Alaska state trooper, and he's been slowly rising up the ranks. and And I think he's actually he's actually in uh, Juneau now or uh, Anchorage, one of the two. And we were talking one day, and he goes, "You know, we were like, okay, if this decision and this decision and this decision are made." then this equals revolution, right? That people will not be able to stand past this point. And I was thinking about it for a few days and I thought about it is, you know, from, from a longevity standpoint, I'm like, you know what? I don't agree with that anymore. The simple fact of the matter is the American people are beyond the capability for true revolution. Yeah. No, there, the, and, and hey, I'm just throwing it out there. You can disagree with me, you know, prove me wrong. I'll set up my desk and my paper in front of the oak tree and, you know, we can talk about it. But until you show me that you've got my drive or your drive or your drive and energy and and more importantly, the ability to invest yourself in something may even cost you at the beginning. But to invest yourself and show that work ethic to get it done, don't come to me and say you need this or that or the other thing because you have to have both. I believe that they've done the right thing here, actually, in relation to saying, yeah, you're going to pay us 20 bucks an hour. Because if they didn't, those people would have been paid $8 an hour for the oh, rest. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, for, for like sure. hundreds of years. They're like, who's yeah. that? Oh, that's, we just call them, we just call them eight buckers. Why? Because <laughs> that's, that. they're like, um, upload that, that series on Amazon. Yeah. I love. And they, they're the two giggers. No, exactly. You it's know, just like it, that. Yeah. And if you don't force the issue by mm -hmm. mandating legislation, it's never going to happen. Well, and that's one of the other problems in our country is that that has been allowed to happen. There's not yeah, enough... corporations are allowed to do whatever they want for yeah. as long as somebody doesn't say something to them about it. And right. there's not enough people out there that are willing to go out and disrupt the, you know, whatever industry that you're trying to, mm -hmm. right. to, to fight. And so they got together, they unionized, and they're like, all right, legislation pays 20 bucks an hour. The problem is, is that now what was funny is they were like, okay, 17 an hour. Mm -hmm. That was 20 an hour. And then in a very short step, it's 24 hours. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is one of the other problems. A, your industry can't support that much money because it's not the right industry. B, there are other people in other industries that deserve the same type of, you know, inflation-based increases. Where are they now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have to rise it. And this is where you get into that. Look, you're kind of liberalistically based and you're societally based. And this is what's important for everybody. And yet you're just doing it for yourself. 
Well, you're not going to, and don't tell me you're going to bring everybody along later. You're not. And you can't. So you either need to put the brakes on and figure that out because it's going to affect every single industry that we're attached to. This, oddly enough, Burger Damnomics has the ability to be the ripple effect that completely disrupts our economy. Mm-hmm. Because then we see over on the East Coast, oh, yeah, we're going to affect the Uber drivers and we're going to affect uh, their tipping methodology and how they're paid. And what does the tech industry do? We're not going to shoulder that burden. Customer, yeah. boom. Yeah. You know, and we see the same thing here. McDonald's, same thing. Eventually, we're going to have to come to a, a, a place, merchants and customers alike, where we go to two groups of people. We go to the legislators and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You really need to think about what you're doing here, number one. And we need to go to the tech companies and say, look, stop just putting it back on us. You had to have seen this coming. Yeah, somebody, the 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 customer can't always be the one that's responsible for every cost. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to know? Okay, I'm about to, ooh. I'm about to get <laughs> right. into a place. Lay, right. lay, lay, go. On, lay on us. Go, Florida go, Power go. and Light. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's talk about Our power this. company. Yeah. Have you ever read your bill? Oh, yes. Yeah. Have you and seen some of the insane things it says on it? I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah, because this guy listens to me bitch and moan about it all the time. I'm like, what's your On the bill, like? it says fuel cost. I don't know if you know what that means, viewer, but if you live in Florida, what that means is you pay for the fuel that they use to, to make generate. your electricity. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which means they run a zero-cost business besides paying their employees mm-hmm. and maintaining infrastructure. Yep. Which you also pay for. Yes, the there, are other, exactly. yeah, there are other... So right, yeah. you pay for all of it, and they get to run a zero-cost business that's a monopoly because there is no other option. You don't get another power option. That's you don't right. get another gas option. You don't get another water option. That's a true monopoly. That is your only option. And yet they want to go after the one guy that made a natural monopoly somewhere in some upper state. Right. Yeah. But then Ron DeSantis is going to let Florida Power <laughs> FBL well, run rampant yeah. because mm-hmm. it makes him boatloads of money. Yeah, oh, yeah. boatloads no, of money. It's the same deal that, hey, look, there are a lot of things about DeSantis I like. There are a lot of things about him that really, we did a deep dive at one point in time. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad person. Oh, no, I no, didn't say that he's, either. He's just like every he other politician. He lets the money run amok. He's exactly. all about the money. And yeah. because of money. That's oh, exactly yeah. it. When we were we were examining all of the land purchases that were being conducted by the Indian tribes in northern Florida and in the Alabama area, largely predicated on the fact that, you know, it wasn't altruistic or anything like that. We were looking at their POS systems and what they were going to utilize because we knew that those purchases were directly related to the possibility of gambling legislation changing here in the state. So Ron DeSantis, who handed it all to Hard Rock Cafe mm-hmm. and to the to the 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 Samoan or not Samoan, uh, uh, the Seminole, Seminole, the Seminole yeah. When gambling was just made legal, what two months ago? Something all like, of it, yeah. Hard Rock Cafe, all of it is routed down there. So you can gamble now here in Florida, but it all gets routed through a single application down to the Hard Rock Cafe, down to the Seminole people, and back into DeSantis's pocket. Hmm. And I was like, you know, there's a time when you got to shake your head and say, you slimy so-and-so, you know, <laughs> you're not giving, because that stagnates market. Mm-hmm. 
period. 100%. And the thing that you were talking about in relation to Florida Power and Light, that's the same thing that they did with sdg e in San Diego. And what yep. did they find out? They were taking all of the money that they weren't, buy, weren't using or having to use for the fuel, and they were investing it. And then when they invested the money, they said, you know what? This isn't enough. We'll take the money that's coming in from the bills, too. And they shorted. Yep. Whoops. And all of a sudden, they get nailed. And are you ready for this? So they're like, court ruling, you did wrong, SDG&E. Something like $200 billion in overcharges. You would assume it was going back to the customer, right? Now. They legislate with the state. They talk to their people who talk to the state's people, and they're like, all right, this is what you're going to do, SDG&E. We're going to create a program that is utilized by individuals that have cars of specific make and specific year that are having difficulties with their catalytic converters. If they have this issue, there's a program that you will fund that allows them to replace that catalytic converter at a diminished cost. I have a Maxima at the time, right? Had a problem with the catalytic converter. So I was like, oh, you know what? I, I had bumped into this. I didn't know why it was there though. End up talking to a guy that was actually part of the process to get this whole system developed. You had to have something ridiculous after all the checks and balances to have like a 1975 Cadillac whose computer was out that had developed catalytic converter issues to get into the program. It was impossible. So that all of that money that this SDG&E was supposed to pay in penalties, not one dime ever got spent. Mm -hmm. This is how they work. And this is, I agree with you. It is a monopoly. Every state electrical power company, if there are not 10 competitors for that energy source, it's, you know, it, something's going to go wrong. Right. 100%. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100% on that. And we'll have to see. We'll have to see how the economic, you know, systems uh, start, start you know, hopefully looking up. So you're down at Seville Quarter how many times a day? Uh, we, I am there usually th Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Other things. than that, I'm doing maintenance uh, on whatever other day. Just taking care of things. Yeah. What does Seville Quarter got going on right now? Uh, well, we have Fat Tuesday coming up <laughs> on Tuesday. Explain to people outside of the Southern Listening Zone what this is. So Fat Tuesday is a big old Mardi Gras celebration. Um, but at Seville Quarters, we have a bunch of uh, Mardi Gras crews. These are groups of people that get together for Mardi Gras and uh, other kinds of events, but a bunch of the crews in our areas will be coming down to Seville on Tuesday. Awesome. Uh, Y'all should come check it out. This weekend's going to be great also. Saturday, we're going to be celebrating Mardi Gras with the public. Mm -hmm. So uh, y'all should come out for that. We're going to be having lots of loud music, Heck good yeah. food, good drinks. And I just want to shout out here also to Adam. Tell him that he he is embraced by by a, a brethren, a, a fellow brethren, that he refers to it as Seville Quarters. So you can <laughs> shut up. Everybody else bang me I on that for, that for three years. It's Seville Quarter. And I was like, I can't stop saying it. 
Leave me alone. We also say Marcus Zuckerberger. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, dude, I've screwed his name up intentionally so bad. Now I can't get back to the original (laughs) because I will if I screw up and name up. I'll be talking to him. I'll be uh, I'll be talking around, yeah, and I'll be it. like, so yeah. uh, we were talking to uh, you know Nepashiro Fukuyama, and his name was you know uh, you know Nielsen Bob. Marcus or something like that. I just <laughs> forgot it, so I'll make a name up, and the name is gone. Ralph will shake his head and go, "No, you're not gonna. Never mind." It's incredible. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. So <laughs> you've got Fat Tuesday. You've got everything still happening in. There's going to be massive Mardi Gras stuff going on yeah. all weekend down there. So get the opportunity. Go down and see the powerful, ear-splitting audio and light show put on by this man across from us, Adam. The, the, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, so, I appreciate you. We're, we're working on it, you know. It's great intros. I'm flattered. Well, <laughs> it, 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 we just we just flatter you for our own, you know, Machiavellian reasons. Oh. They're not they're not apparent <laughs> yet. Okay, they, they will be. They will be. So, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we take this opportunity to to say, hey, you know, thank you very much. But uh, have we got anything else going with RL Technologies? I know we've got some posts that are coming up in relation to Oakley's. We got updates. We got updates. We, uh, we got lots of things going on, finalizing um, the uh, uh, the final logo. Uh, sent that to her. Uh, actually, she's probably reached out to me now. Do you think the uh, menu should be pretty much okayed now, too, as well? Yeah, you got yeah menu's done. That, right? We got the logo finished. Uh, she's submitting things. She's buying equipment. That's so, right. Ooh, and, ah. ooh, ooh. You may have actually found her someone to run that dark kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk it out of existence. Nope. But we think that <laughs> Very we have Irish her. Very Irish about our superstitions here. Yeah, I think we have her a kitchen manager as well. So, Outstanding. Uh, super excited about that, moving right along. Yeah. Um, and actually, she's decided that she's opening a, uh, a wine store. Yeah. So you've got mm. Oakley's Wine Store and Oakley's Wine Bar. Very so good. So we'll, uh, we'll be handling that as well. We just want, I can't wait for her to, to get this open and watch it work. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, no, she's it's rocking it amazing. So, um, let's see. Uh, we've got Life Cycle. Uh, we've got the mushroom extract here. So, check us out. Uh, Lifecycle.com. You can use Business Time 1 uh, at checkout for an additional 10% off. That's right. They've got it all, man. Lion's Head. All type of uh, stuff that is great for meta- your metabolism, neurological functions, the whole skin, kit and caboodle. your sleep. Yeah. Everything. So. And who doesn't want good sleep skin, you know, when they're... It puts the lotion on, <laughs> on his skin. I want good sleep skin. That sounds great. I had it once, and then I lost it. We'll get you one before you go. Well, you know, I was, yeah, you know, I was a great adventurer until I took an arrow to the knee, so, you know. <laughs> I was once an adventurer like you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I said, she big, she's, never mind. But no, this is probably this is one of our longer episodes. Oh definitely, no, definitely yeah, one of yeah. our more one of our more exciting episodes. But I I think that we've had a great opportunity to talk to someone that we've been able to deep dive with oh, yeah. uh, on something that has been oh, yeah. of general concern. We can bring all of these things to a relevant premise, but jumping off the cliff with the shoot it requires an expert, you know, oh. an actual SME. Yeah. Well, and we have other yeah. things brewing in the pot that we'll uh, we'll be bringing Adam back on oh, to talk definitely. about. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. even if it's and just the, talking about some future. of the silliness. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they need more silliness, too. So, well, folks, enjoy your Mardi Gras. Uh, don't uh, don't eat too many moon pies. And, moon pies. You know. <laughs> Stop saying moon pie. <laughs> hey, mister, throw me a moon pie. Yeah, Cam's family is Samoan, so it doesn't matter if that thing is ni- from 1962. Oh, hey, dude, they don't yeah. go bad. They're like they, Twinkies. And that, that's... They're like Twinkies. <laughs> I'll I'll agree with the 
with the the Twinkie variant of that statement. You ever had a deep fried moon pie? Yeah, I, dude, they go bad. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, no. they they go bad. I've been into one once. I'm like, pull, 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 pull. no such thing as a bad moon yeah, pie. Yeah, it sounded like Cat Williams when he was discussing the mountains of It was terrible, man. It's horrible. Uh, well, I can tell you, this is not horrible. Is RL Technologies presenting business time along with Chef's Abacus? You can reach us at www.rltechfl.com. That'll take you to our webpage, tell you all about us. And I mean all about us, a massive web page. We get a lot of compliments on it, and we enjoy doing it. You can also email us at info at rltechfl.com. And you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rltechfl. I'd like to say one thing. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Business Time with Ralph and Mike. Okay? Yes. yes. They're awesome. Don't be a square. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Even though our QR code for Business Time is a square. Dude, that's deep. That's and deep. thank you guys so much for having me on. Oh, that no. was great. Thank you, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, we can we completely love this opportunity to talk to you. So I'm Mike Fisher, Ralph, Ralph Lawrence, Lawrence, and our guest Adam Perez. Yeah. Nice That's to right. Meet you. <laughs> Have a good week, guys. Yes, and enjoy as always your business time.